We're here to talk to you about a problem. It's pretty serious, so please don't interrupt. Sure. <gasps> I know, I know you don't want to hear it. We gotta try, though. It's about your lifestyle. We've just noticed never want to come out except for fighting something else. That can't be good. You won't even eat anymore. Yeah, well, why would she... What was she... Just go ahead. So it's time to take drastic action. You there? Uh, Ryan? I'm there. Yeah. I, I, I messed up. What's that? I, I said I messed up. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. That's the that's called the magic of editing. So just go <laughs> ahead and read your line. My magic will make it okay. Wait, what was my uh, It's there in Discord uh, in the group chat. No. Give me a little hard so to find. So it's drastic action. You're wait, going to... Wait, stop, stop for a second. Action. Stop, stop, stop. Hold on, hold on. Wait for it. Three... Two, one. So it's time to take drastic action. You're going to an anger management camp, and you're staying there until we're satisfied that this problem is over. Ditto, 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 ditto. Okay, well that didn't work. Who wants to try it with Magikarp? Your backlog, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the RPG Backtrack. It's continuing mission to explore games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. To seek out forgotten games and neglected classics. To boldly discuss what you have not played before. RPG Backtrack, the longest-running podcast about your favorite RPGs of the past. Get ready for in-depth discussion of plots, characters, gameplay, and more from the staff of RPGamer.com. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Bill Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome aboard. This is RPG Backtrack number 20... Let me try that again. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... And welcome aboard. This is RPG Backtrack and number 209. The Pokemon are restless. I am Phil Willis, and this is the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Mike Minky. If you call me legendary, I'll accept it, but I'm not sure what I've done to necessarily deserve such a, a highly regarded status. You have survived 200 episodes with me. Just about. I think that makes you legendary. My wife won't even put up with me that much. I have to find argument there because presumably you've known your wife even longer than you've known anybody else on RB Gamer, right? Yeah, right? yeah, but she goes away. Like she just she she wouldn't do two hundred episodes with me. She wouldn't even do two episodes with me. 
but you've done two we are coming up to 200 episodes together since we started what episode 10 11 11 yeah 200 ep- I mean, we're coming up on 200 episodes like more than a decade wonder twin powers yeah. activate to be fair there's been a couple of hiatuses so maybe you two just had some time off to break a little bit no i mean like we haven't even like, we haven't really even taken like i mean, we might have gone like for a month or so without recording a show but i mean as far as like there hasn't been like a long string of shows where just Mike did or just I did, right? Like we have just about done 200 episodes. That's insane. I, I know that there was a pretty long gap there in like December. I want to say 26 or 2016, 2017. Yeah, I mean, I've been smaller one. Yeah, I'm just saying it's a lot of episodes. Anyways, those voices you hear, one of those is Miss uh, Relly Kyan. Yes. I've been on for how long now and you still don't get my name right? That is totally your right name. It's you who don't get your name right. I think I know my own name. No, you don't. No. Well, Phil begs to differ. Yeah. And we all know that Phil never makes any errors when these title incidents happen. Mm -hmm. So clearly he knows your name better than you do. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. That is the conclusion I am forced to draw here. If Phil is always correct in the naming then he must know everyone's name better than the people who think they know their name. Yeah. It's easier just not to argue. It's easier just not to argue. Yeah. And I think we have uh, Cassandra Ramen Noodles on board. Uh, I'm Ramen Noodles again. Hello, everybody. Well, I didn't want Relly feeling picked on, so I have to pick on you, too. Okay, sure. I'll accept it. Yay, you accepted. And we have, well, and, and, and it's not just you two, because now we have another new guy on board. Oh my gosh, it's it's new guy, like, what are we up to now, Mike? Number three, number four? Do, are we classifying everybody who's ever been a new guy, or just the current new guys? I feel like it's like, this just, just even the last few months, there has been more new guys than I can count. I think we're at about three new guys, okay, according so, to your standards right now. Alright, so new guy number three. Uh, he claims his name is Ryan something or rather. I don't know if I believe him. <laughs> I've got to do some research on that. So, so... Ryan is a very suspicious name, and Phil is a very suspicious person. He may just determine that Ryan is not your correct name and give you another. <laughs> right? Because that's the way nature intended. So, 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 Mr. Hypothetical Ryan person... We have this uh, thing that we like to do on the show where we like to ask you some questions. So why don't you introduce yourself, your handle on RP Gamer, and what you do on the side. Hi, I'm, I'm Ryan McCarthy. I, my handle is Last I'm on Earth, and I, and I write reviews for the site. Okay. I mean, allegedly your name is Ryan McCarthy, just to be clear for our listeners. It's, a, it's just an allegation at the moment. Uh, so why don't you give us a brief overview of your gaming history? How, how did you get to play RPGs? Uh, well, I started. Well, I started with the Sega Genesis when I was two, and then we moved on to Sega Saturn, which broke after two months. And then, <laughs> and then the, we did get a good kiosk out of it, which we then, which we actually hooked up our N sixty four to, and then, which we and then we got we got a PlayStation two, and that's our, and not about I think it like not too long. I would say to that. Yeah, I first got into RPG. I think the first Kingdom Hearts game what got me into RPG. And also, the first Kingdom Hearts game was seventeen years ago. Jeez, right? I feel old. 
I don't think there's any way to avoid it at this point. Right? Yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that. Just 2002 really feels like so long ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it really long ago. Hmm, okay. So, what was your favorite type of RPG? Strategy, computer, Japanese style, Western? What would Japanese you style. That's definitely the stuff I tend to play the most. Okay, cool. And what is your favorite RPG of all time? Uh, well, that's that's good. that's actually a hard one. It actually used to be Persona Four, but but like I really want, I can't say I have a definitive favorite, but there's but I do what let's see I like Yakuza Zero, Final Fantasy Ten. Uh, I I know I I like yeah we'll go with that. Okay, well, that's, that's that's fair. You didn't step on the landmine that is Final Fantasy Seven. So uh, you get to stay on the show. So that's always good. The Philip favorite Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> um, well, cool. Welcome aboard. Uh, and uh, yeah, today we are talking about a plethora of Pokemon spinoff games, aren't we, Mr. Minky? That we are. It's almost as if the Pokemon franchise is so enormous that the regular colors and celestial objects just can't contain them anymore. Mm mm. Oops. So yeah. Uh so so we're we got a lot to talk about. We're gonna jump into it. We're gonna take a a, a, a commercial break. Uh we gotta pay our bills, of course. And we're gonna come back with our main event. So hold on tight. return this is the main event where we take a game or a series of games and we throw the egg on the rocks and see what color the yolk is uh today we are talking about a handful of pokemon spinoff games and we're going to kick this off with the pokemon trading card game that was originally uh, released if i'm not mistaken on the game boy color and later also brought to the 3ds thanks to virtual console it's released originally in japan on december 18th 1998 and made its way to north america on april 10th 2000 and then came about 14 years later on a 3ds virtual console uh this is a single and uh multiplayer um kind of trading card rpg-ish type of experience i don't think anyone here has played a whole lot any of y'all played a whole bunch of this i played a lot of it back in the day because um interestingly enough the pokemon trading card game was how i got into pokemon because i didn't have a game boy back then hmm what do you remember about it? What was what was fun about it? What made it better than, let's say, Magic the Gathering? Well, one, I didn't have to spend $100 on a Charizard. 
or get, <laughs> almost get in a fist fight with my school mates over a Charizard, which was excellent. <laughs> um, two, it came with an exclusive Meowth card, which, oh, I about it. yeah, I still have somewhere. And three, it was nice to be able to just kind of sit down and play the card game without having to, you know, find a person and deal with their crap. Pokemon caused a lot of... The the TCG caused a lot of grief with my high school buddies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's pretty much just the card game, but put into Game Boy Advance... or I'm sorry, Game Boy Color Fair, and... um, it was really fun to play. It had had a brief little story mode that was pretty much just the same as uh, Pokemon Blue. You're fighting gym leaders, trying to get the legendary cards. And the other thing that made it unique was that it um, it had cards that weren't available in the card game mm. digitally. And another another neat thing about it is that the card I no on the Game Boy Color had an infrared sensor. And it kind of had like a functionality where if you had two people that had the card game, you could do what was called a, called a card pop, where it would just generate a random card. And four of those exclusive cards were only available via card pop, and I think you could only card pop like once a day. Mm. It's like a mystery gift for uh, yeah, yeah, oh. pretty much. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing really to talk about. It's just the card game. Um, I think it got a sequel in Japan that we never saw. Yeah, I think also for the Game Boy Color, it had the, you know, a gold and silver Pokemon, but for some reason, I guess the card the card game didn't sell very well here, or maybe it was just too close to the Game Boy Advance's start. I have no idea. We just, we never got it. Some people le- relent that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly made me sad because I love the uh, TCG, both the paper version and the digital version. And, you know, I, I go to to Walmart with my husband every week and we go look at the magic cards and see what new decks there are in the card section at Walmart and I see this TZ, the Pokemon one is still going and it's like man I'd love to be able to get into this again but there it is so far from what I played <laughs> hmm well I, I know that the video game was pretty well received overall there was a few you know especially with the limitations of the system at the time and into consideration there was a few concerns uh if you were just focused on the single player experience that it was hey, definitely the on the Boy color could handle super mario brothers deluxe uh, yeah there you go it can handle like uh, 200 i you know these card games i i don't know how deep pokemon card game gets but i know with like magic the gathering with the interrupts and the such like that that designing an artificial intelligence that could handle it pretty well or whatever the script and the codes to do that well was is a bit tough and it's not it's apparently it's tough to get right uh it seems like the, one of the criticisms against the the game boy game here pokemon was that the ai was definitely on the easy side if you were focused on just a single player experience yeah and the ui is a little bit uh wonky that i was complaining or the text size which i'm going to complain about later was a huge problem especially on the tiny um gba or i played it on my game boy advance on the tiny screen and was only made slightly better with the virtual console release but not by much because if you blow up tiny pixels it's just bigger tiny pixels yeah <laughs> kelly yes. remember how much fun it was to not be able to put your game boy advance in your pocket with a game boy color or original game boy cartridge oh yes that too oh yeah that was yeah. Well, uh, let's see here. Let's talk about. Uh, let's jump into the next one then. Uh, we got. Well, I think we should mention that Mr. Apps really, really liked the trading card game 
Mm. And yet he's not here to talk about it with us. Coincidence? Hmm. Bad, Michael Apps. Bad. Oh, and, and I just remembered something. I actually have a sealed copy of this, and people don't care about it so much that I think I only picked it up for like ten bucks a couple of years ago, which tells you. That yeah, I was people gonna, really want it. You know, I was going to mention on <laughs> on on. Eventually, people will realize that it is an is a Game Boy Color game, which they don't make those anymore, and its value will go. So it's funny you should mention that. Uh, so if if you yeah if you just want a used copy of the game, you can get that fairly cheap. I found them on eBay for twelve bucks or so. And of course, you can get the Virtual Console if you got a 3DS. That that copy's not going to run you very much. But our listeners, of course, demand the best. Our listeners don't want some subpar product. What they want is Pokemon Trading Card Game, complete inbox, sealed, new mint, and they can grab. One off of eBay. Now there is one on sale for like fifty bucks. But why would they want that one? They're gonna have this one that's two hundred and fifty-six dollars. Oh wow! I could probably sell that and buy yeah. a couple of a Yokai Watch Three. Now check it. Check it out. It benefits charity. There's like a little oh. red text on here. that says benefit. So someone's trying to raise some money for charity with this. So you get to you get your Pokemon game. You get to benefit a charity and you get free economy shipping from California all for $256. What's really funny is they've got like the, uh, the, the, the game spot tag on there. It was originally 25 bucks. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, there, there are actually complete in box sets for, uh, under 50 bucks. Uh, there's one on here for a hundred bucks. But uh, if you just want the game itself, you can get that for ten bucks. So, anywho, cool. Uh, well, let's uh, let's move on to, uh, to Pokemon Coliseum. Uh, this is released you, on. You mean Stadium? I think we could, we could bring it up right before. So just yeah, keep going Coliseum. And just okay. My bad. Coliseum Stadium. Sure. I you know that's what I get for pulling up on Wikipedia. Uh, anywho, Nintendo GameCube RPG. This was uh, developed. Well, this this one, anyways, it's saying it was developed by Genius Seniority. Yep. Published by Nintendo. Uh, this was released in Japan on November 21st, 2003. North America, March 22nd, 2004. So uh, what can y'all tell me about this spinoff series? So, bef- yeah, before uh, Coliseum proper, uh, Colise- uh, before the games, there was two and 64. Actually, three in Japan, but... Um... Two here. Uh, the Pokemon Stadium games. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because Japan got a, a a small a smaller version of Stadium that only featured a limited number of Pokemon. Then they got a second version that had all 151. So the big draw to and Stadium Two, of course, has um, gold and silver Pokemon into the mix. Uh, the big draw there was one: you get to see your Pokemon in glorious, blocky N64 3D. But you know, when you're mm-hmm. a kid, that, that was actually pretty dang cool. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was the selling point. Yes, that was the selling point. You get to see your Pokemon in 3D on TV, and they are your Pokemon because you could get these little devices that you attach to the N64 controller called the Transfer Pack. You put your Pokemon game in the Transfer Pack, you attach it to the controller, you upload them to N64, and you can fight your Pokemon in 3D against various matches, uh, whether against the uh, PC or against other humans that may be there with you. And it was it was pretty dang neat, even though you're just basically just doing a lot of battles. There's where the mini games are pretty fun. Uh, another neat thing I liked was that your Pokemon had, if they had nicknames, their colors were slightly different than the average Pokemon. Uh, like I had a very dark blue Gyarados because I named it. I forgot the name I gave it, but it was a really dark blue, and I distinctly remember that. So, but yeah, so but yeah, those were pretty neat. Uh, and it, 
And, did uh, uh, did the shiny Pokemon from Gold and Silver ever come no, through? Yeah, they, yeah they, there were. You could see your shiny Pokemon in Gold in a Pokemon Stadium too. Okay. So they were shiny, and that again is that I don't know if the shiny colors changed if they had a nickname, but it was just a slightly different kind of fun mechanic that hasn't shown up since. Also, the uh, the cries. Or not those tinny little Game Boy sounds, but they actually sounded like animals. The Meowth meowed, the, the Rapid Dash and Ponyta whinnied, uh, Charizard roared, that sort of thing. I didn't know that either. I never, yeah. I, I didn't play this very much. I think I uh, rented it and got yeah. my butt handed to me and was like, okay, this isn't for me. Yeah, I played a, I played a lot of both. I rented the first game, bought Stadium 2, and I, I, I loved it. I played through the the state I played through the uh, the Pokemon Gym Leader Castle, which allows you to fight each of the gym leaders. There's different match types. Uh, as I said, there was uh, as I said, there's the uh, the mini games, which are a lot of fun. Uh, I eventually stopped playing because the, the transfer pack I had malfunctioned and it completely wiped the data from my Pokemon Crystal game. And yeah, I never touched Ouch. it after that. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, I had some good Pokemon on there too. Actually, no, the Crystal game was fine. It was, it was gold. I lost a bunch of good Pokemon from. Of course, now, now those crystal Pokemon yeah. are gone because the battery died a long time ago. But oh darn! Now, isn't the main, one of the main draws from this that you can get some uh, really rare Pokemon with move sets that you can't oh, normally that's get? Right. Yes, yes. Uh, stadium. Well, it's Stadium One. I don't remember if Stadium Two had anything like that. Uh, but to Stadium One, uh, there was this uh, elaborate way to get a surfing Pikachu. You had to enter the most difficult cup, the Prime Cup, with a Pikachu in your party and bring it to every battle. It doesn't have to fight, but you have to bring it to every battle. And if you beat it without you, I think, I think you couldn't use a continue. If I recall, you couldn't use any continues because you got a certain limited amount uh, and you beat it. You get to teach that Pikachu surf. And I, there was one particular battle that I won with the Pikachu because I managed to use its quick attack just in a good time with a Pokemon that had one HP left before I had to yeah. force to start all over again. That was pretty dang neat. And there's some other, there's some other little things like there was a special, uh, they had the uh, some uh, ability to make a Pokemon relearn an old move. It was the the, the move re- the, the move relearner in later games, but you could only get in the stadium games. And there were some other neat things like you could play your Pokemon uh, carts, red, blue, gold, silver, yellow, and crystal, and all that on the TV, and you could play it like double or even triple speed. Oh, cool! I, f- I forgot about that bit too. Yeah. Wait, wait, double, triple speed? Wait. Yeah, you could play. Yeah, you could play. Yeah, you play those oh, games on I mean, your TV I, double or triple speed. I I didn't do much of that, but I remember you could do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot. You could, oh yeah. Yeah, I think it was the Do Duo, and then later the Do Drio Tower. Ah, uh, so then after this kind of became a thing, that's when they brought the um upgraded it to Coliseum on the GameCube. So and, the GameCube, yeah, I could keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Um, one, one of the big draws, well, two of the big draws was one. It had an actual. It was pretty much the same thing as Coliseum. You, you or same thing as Stadium. You use the Game Boy Advance transfer pack to transfer your Pokemon to do very elaborate battles. Um, it also had a pretty robust story mode, which which is you know pretty crazy because for the longest time they kind of refused to do a console Pokemon. Up- up until recently with uh, Sword and Shield, even though technically that's still portable. But um, I, I liked the story mode because I thought it had a very interesting premise. Where you, um, in the first game, you put you our main character, your main character escapes from um, was it Team Snagum? Snagum, yeah, it was his because yeah. he was a, a part of Team Snagum, and uh, but uh, they stopped just stealing stuff and started kidnapping Pokemon, so he mm-hmm. re bolted 
by uh, taking the uh, taking the device they were using to kidnap Pokemon mm-hmm. and destroy their hideout or one of their hideouts yeah. anyway. And I, I remember it being a pr- kind of a pretty dark storyline. Um, there, there really isn't much to the story other than that. I mean, in, in that game. I mean, it's somewhat, I mean, I, I, I played this game over so many times because it was like the quickest way you could get extra Master Balls and Earthquake mm-hmm. TMs. Uh, so I just replayed through that story mode a lot. I mean, but, it, it's still, it's still funny because so what the other, other than Team Snagum, uh, so your main character is trying to find a way to stop Team Snagum and then he later finds out that they're actually working with an even greater team called Cypher. Not Team Cypher, they're just Cypher. Uh, and Cypher's goal has, they found a way to artificially close the hearts of Pokemon and this turns them into shadow Pokemon. This oh no, them, they're evil. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're evil. They are supposed, they're more aggressive, supposedly stronger, but they can, at least in the first game, they could only use one move, Shadow Rush. And so they're hoping to eventually take over the world by turning Pokemon into shadow Pokemon. Uh, so yeah, you basically, you beat them back at every turn, you defeat their admins, you eventually take on their leader that was actually the mayor of one of the towns all this time, and you seemingly defeat them for good. It, until the next game, because that was a safe, direct sequel. Yeah, but uh, my husband kind of refuses to play this game, because he, cause the, the main draw of it is that you're actually taking Pokemon from other trainers. And he's kind of like, you know, it's not up to you to decide whether or not you're going to liberate someone else's Pokemon. That's kind of a jerk <laughs> move. And I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? You're right. But, yeah, yeah but, so, so there's you know, no... Sorry. No, no, but you, know, you keep going, sorry. There's there's no random encounters in this one. It's all trainer battles, and certain trainers have the shadow Pokemon, and you use the snag machine to basically steal their Pokemon from them. But they're dark, evil Pokemon, and you're liberating them. So yeah, it's okay. The, the trainers are usually bad people. They're usually members of Team Cypher, to have Cypher or Team Snagum. Except for uh, early on, some of the people who were winning a, a local uh, tournament were getting shadow Pokemon as gifts. So mm-hmm. presumably they had no idea what was going on. It was like, why did you just steal my Pokemon? Yeah. And but you were purifying their hearts because after you fought with them enough time, you could uh, bring them to a special shrine where Celebi would help restore it back to its original form and it could gain mm-hmm. levels again and even evolve. And it got all the experience that you missed out on when uh, they were Shadow too, which was nice. I guess it's getting to gameplay, so. Because um, otherwise you could really screw yourself over. Mm-hmm. Um Purifying them was a pain in the ass, though, because you had to fight with them, and they kind of work like how if it, in, a, in the normal game, where if you don't have the right badges to train it, then it doesn't listen to you. And they, a lot of their move, the Shadow Pokemon's moves, um, hurt hurt itself, um, have a lot of recoil, mm-hmm. but you have to use these moves, because as you start using the moves, it kind of slowly ticks away at their heart meter. And like like Cassandra said, once the heart meter is cleared, then you can purify them and use them. Yeah, they they will learn real or remember maybe their old moves as you keep using them in battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not completely stuck with only Shadow Rush. So you can yeah. learn, you know, whatever other moves they might have known in the past. I also distinctly remember restarting the game a bunch of times so I could get a female Kilava. I'm just remembering regret. Early <laughs> on, you could get Kilava. No, you, you pick one of them, one of the uh, gold and silver starters. Oh, by the way, this takes place in the Ore region, or maybe the Ore region, because it had gold-silver Pokemon that you could yeah. 
capture. So, haha, or gold silver. And at the time, it was one of the only ways you could really get a lot of the gold silver Pokemon because I don't think I think just Ruby and Sapphire was out. Yeah, they had and... a, they had a yeah they had a few in them, but the yeah, but that's because that was the big cutoff from the first two generations and the third generation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the earlier Pokemon were not available, especially like legendaries and such. So if you want, so I, that's why I, one big reason I want to call a Seam other than yay, it's Stadium, but cooler sort of. Um, yeah, because. Get gold, silver Pokemon for Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah, because the th- the three legendary dogs were in this one, and I think if you completed the story mode and then the one hundred battle tower, you could get Ho. Yes, Ho. yes, you could get Ho. Also, if you pre-ordered the game, you got a special bonus disc that yes. you could get Jirachi from. Yes, I I still have my disc. That, so do that, I. So do I. That disc goes for a pretty penny these days. Wow. I'm pretty sure it does. We'll fill. We'll uh, link it up later. <laughs> just the bonus but, disc. But yeah, all it, all it is is just the bonus disc with Jirachi and uh, the berry fix to Red, Ruby and Sapphire. Oh yeah, because they they had that in GameStops for a while too. Yeah. Um, so so that, yeah. that's that's Coliseum. That's all I can really remember about Coliseum. I'm trying to like, a couple of random things. Like uh, I remember, kind of funny. Like when you walked around in the overworld, instead of the Pokeball items. That, that like the pokeballs that had items you had boxes that had the color of a pokeball oh uh, yeah that was kind of funny just like oh it was a chest this whole time but then you go into the 3d games and no it's still a pokeball huh yeah maybe just oh, a more region i i love that you started out with umbreon and espeon yeah oh, oh and that's right this game you a heavy use of double battling almost all mm-hmm. of the battles are double battles which i really liked because i really liked double battles it made it made it feel more like a I want. I don't want to say a real RPG because that sounds condescending, but it made it feel a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, yeah, more of a part. Like there was a more of a party basis because you had to, you know, make them work together or at least avoid hurting each other if you're using some kind of area mm-hmm. effect ability. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm notorious for forgetting and then doing earthquake. And, <laughs> oh, lovely. Gotta remember earthquake, uh, levitate, or flying type. Yeah, or, or surf. I'm bad about forgetting and using surf <laughs> yeah. too. Which that, I don't think that has a counter. <laughs> But um, uh, well, no, at least not not by uh, gold and silver. So I think water absorb was loose, but and then later on, I want to say a couple of years later, that's when they did um, XD Gale of Darkness. Which seeing that name and text always amuses me because I think XD is an emoticon and not XD, which means extra dimensions or extra yeah. darkness, if memory is correct. Yeah, and and this one prominently Fugia, and it kind of solved some of the issues with the first game. Um, like uh, it's pretty much the same premise. You are fighting Cipher to get rid of all the Shadow Pokemon. Huge evil plot. You're you're not playing as an ex member of Team Snagum. You're playing as a kid. I don't even remember what he did. No, what's funny enough is that the the uh, the um the player the original the player character from Coliseum, his default name was Wes. Looked like I remember they made a, a some note notion that he looked much older than other prior Pokemon protagonists. He's a teenager instead huh. of, in a, you know, a 10 to 12 year old. Yeah, he, he looked a lot more edgelord, that, that's yeah. for sure. But in this and, one, you're playing a kid. Yeah, you're playing as a kid again. <laughs> and I I think your sister gets kidnapped at one point and you have to go save her or am I misremembering? I, I haven't played. Um, okay. One thing I do remember is that it was an early cameo of a Pokemon, uh, a then would have been a new Pokemon for um, for the upcoming Diamond and Pearl, Bonsly. Oh, yes, I forgot about the Bonsly, that. Bonsly, Bonsly, because it's a line, Bons, Bons, oh, Bonsly. Oh, Bonsly. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I remember that. Um, I remember your sister being annoying. I, I don't know why I'm hung up on that. I just... <laughs> 
did not like the sister character at all because she follows you around and makes stupid comments. Um, it fixed a lot of the tedium with the shadow Pokemon because you have, uh, I can't even remember the name of the machine. You have some machine that you can stick shadow Pokemon into and they will slowly unlock their heart over time. And it was so much nicer than the other way where you had to, uh, yeah, because if you wanted to, if you wanted to catch all of them at and to unlock all of them was tedious. And it's nice being able to just put them in the unlocker and forget about it. And it was kind of important because if you liberate all of the shadow Pokemon that are available, then you had a chance to get a Lugia. And you had to use that machine to unlock Lugia's heart. Yeah, because if you look at the Lugia on the cover, it's not just a shadowy aura. It looks it looks like a, edgier than a Lugia typically looks. Yeah, and Lugia, play, Lugia plays a huge part in the game. Yeah, the ultimate shadow Pokemon, if I remember, from, like, the promo stuff. Which is kind of funny, because in the first game, the, uh, Advice was the head of Cypher back then, and he said, they beat it by ultimate shadow Pokemon, which was a Tyranitar, which really was difficult to get. Um, it was called the Purify Chamber. That's ah. what it was. Yeah, because other than battling, the first game, you could give your Pokemon massages that would bring down their heart meter a bit, and also you had three special flutes that you can immediately summon Celebi and completely purify a Pokemon instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So that was useful for, like, the beasts, because they're, they're legendary Pokemon and they took longer to purify. Yeah. Um, what what else? Um, there was a bit where you could trap wild Pokemon, but they were, I remember them being kind of weak Pokemon, like uh, Hoppip, but c- catching a lot of Hoppip was important because you had to have synergy and the purify machine. And the way that you had perfect synergy was to, there, there were like four Pokemon in a circle and you had to like kind of tight match them where each one in the circle was, uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Each, each one in the circle was tight matched to the other one and it completed, completed a complete circle. Kind of like how Bul- Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle are all in a circle, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. And Hoppip was one of the best ones for that because it was flying and grass. So it's both weak against each other. And in order to purify the Shadow Lugia, you basically had to have perfect tempo in the purifying to un- um, unlock a tart instantly. I just remember agonizing over this, trying to get it because I wanted, because I was trying to get a complete Pokedex in my copy of uh, Fire Red at the time. Because I I do remember, I I didn't get this, I I think I kind of wanted this game, but it was, I just never got around to it. And by then, not only was uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green out, out, so you could get those Pokemon the first generation, uh, very soon, I think... um, the remakes of Heart Gold and Soul Silver would have come out. So actually, no, it wouldn't have been soon because Diamond and Pearl, I don't think were even out yet. So, okay, never mm-hmm. mind. Either way, I didn't feel the need to get it. It's just like the birds, I could just do, you know, fire red, leaf green. Like Lugia had a special promo ticket thing. So I managed to get it that way. Yeah, I didn't manage to get the pro- the promo ticket because that, that stuff hardly ever came to me. Yeah, it's, I live in New York, so stuff like that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Out here. No, oh, I... I... Oh, we forgot to mention Mirror B. Mirror B is a, a flamboyant oh. uh, member, one of the admins of Cypher, and he's got this giant Pokeball Afro and a really cool theme music and a, and a Ludicolo. Yeah, but his Ludicolo's dance. Yes. So he was awesome. And I think he, sh- he shows up in XD as well. Yeah. I, I forgot about him. He He's cool. And his music mm-hmm. is cool, too. Yeah. 
But um, I mean, I enjoyed both of these games at the time that they came out. Though I can see why people wouldn't like them because they're, they're very different for the Pokemon that you're yeah. used to. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought again, I, I I thought I liked them for at the time as well, and I I remember playing them a lot again because get items and certain rare Pokemon in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, it's shorter than playing through a mainline game. Mm-hmm. About ten and, hours. Yeah, yeah, ten hours instead of you know like thirty or something. <laughs> Uh, the the one thing I do remember about the battling is when I went through the 100 battle bit with uh, trying to get the Oho in Pokemon Coliseum, um, those last 10 battles were and I brought in my level 73 Zangoose from Red and Blue, or Ruby and Sapphire. And I didn't realize that it, that it bases the Pokemon's your fighting's level at the same level of your highest Pokemon. Right, yeah, yeah, the stadium did that too. So, you know, all of my other dudes are like hovering around level 50 and 60, and then my Zangoose is level 73. But luckily, my Zangoose, I, I must have got like the right nature or something because my Zangoose dominated those last 10 battles where he could get the hit in before anybody else and ha- have the stab bonus and do the crit and just take just about everything down. Or if he did get knocked out, um, I could do clean up with the other ones by type matching. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Remember, for the sing- for the other battling stuff other than the story mode, there was, I forget what the mode was called. There was this uh, like eight match higher level mode, but the, the trainer, and it, it wasn't the mount battle. It was, but it was ridiculous compared to like uh, the, uh-huh. uh, the tournament style ones in stadium. And like those Pokemon had very high stats. I think you had to know a bit about like EV training and IV breeding. And back then that stuff was way harder to do than it is currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I could not get past, like, I couldn't get past maybe the two battles before it just got impossible with the Pokemon I had in Ruby and Sapphire. Yeah. And never did those and just ended up replaying the story mode a lot. Yeah, that that was pretty crazy. And w- one last thing to note before we move off the GameCube, there is one more kind of special Pokemon quote-unquote game that not a lot of people have and many people don't know about, and that was the Pokemon box. Uh, well, I guess it's Pokemon Channel, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just wanted to mention the Pokemon box because it was basically the proto version of the Pokemon Bank that we all know and love, only it was a GameCube disc, and it came with a transfer cable and a memory card, and it was a way to um, store all of your Pokemon off-cart. Yeah, I never, I never did get that. I think, wasn't there a way to get to something rare, like a Mew? <sighs> I don't I think... I don't think so. I, okay. I, I want to say that was the Pokemon Channel. No, from in Channel, I think in Europe, Ch- Pokemon Channel had a way to get Jirachi, but yeah. But I think all we you, I think all we got was like bonus shorts featuring the Pichu brothers from this from the third Pokemon move short. Yeah, because I I got my Mew from Toys R Us back in. Yeah, same here. But I I, th- I thought that that Pokemon box was really interesting because when they announced the Pokemon Bank, I was like, oh, it's pretty much the box from the GameCube just online. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about the Pokemon box is that it's like a thorn in the side of complete GameCube collectors because it was only sold at the Pokemon Center in New York before it changed into the Nintendo Store. And you, you could buy it online, and I bought it back in the day along with... Um, a Persian and an Entei figurine because that, at the time that was the only way I could get a Persian figurine. And that thing complete in box goes for ridiculous prices now. 
the one special thing you could do with the Pokemon box though was that you could also play um Ruby and Sapphire on the TV, but that was kind of pointless because at the time the Game Boy Game Boy player was out. That's right, right. <laughs> I guess I didn't have one. Yeah, I I bought I it. At, but yeah, I had a. Yeah, I mean, I bought it back in the day just because I wanted it for my collection, and um, you know, I was a po- Pokedex completist. Uh, glad I did. Well, you know, the, I, I I looked up a lot of these games. You can find for not not too bad prices, even though they're older system games. I mean, I'm finding plenty of copies in the fifteen to twenty five dollar range. But of course, once again, our, our demanders do our demanders, our listeners do <laughs> demand the best. And I have found a factory new case Nintendo sixty four Pokemon Stadium two gold and silver ten pack. It literally has ten brand new copies. Of the game in one case for the low price of $200. So that's like $20 each. Like, you could take this and resell it and... I don't... come with a transfer pack? (laughs) Mire them. I... Yeah, you just... It's... No, that's... it's. There's another... uh, For Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness, I think one of y'all mentioned that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so that one, for people who really do demand the best... Again, you can find copies of that in the decent price range... But I found a new sealed black label Y-Fold mint brand new condition for the low, low, low price of $299.99. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I would I would be curious to know what the Jirachi bonus disc and Pokemon box go for these days, but trying to find that stuff can become difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So it sounds sounds exciting. Uh and you know, for the for the I mean Outside of the newer Switch games, and depending on your feeling, I guess, on the Pokemon XY and whatever. I, I don't know. Like, I felt like these games were so far ahead of their time in allowing you to play your Pokemon in full glorious 3D, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was the only way to actually use your Pokemon in 3D at the time. And Coliseum was neat in that here, here it is. You can finally play a Pokemon RPG on your TV, even if it's not an actual main series game. There's no gyms, but it, you know, there's still battles. It's still fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, that was just mind-blowing at the time, and definitely worth, I mean, a few rentals, if nothing else. So, alright, cool. Uh, we're gonna take just a, a tiny break here, because I'm gonna make sure I save this, and then we're gonna come back with some more games. So, uh, hold on just, just a brief moment.
We have returned, and it's time for some more main event as we now dive into Pokemon Ranger, developed by HAL Laboratory and Creatures Incorporated, unless there's just one big title. Published by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company, released on the Nintendo DS in Japan on March 23rd, 2006, and in North America October 30th, 2006. This is a single-player action RPG experience. Who has played this one? Because I haven't. I played the first Ranger. I didn't really dive into the other ones. Um, I played the first Ranger because at the time there was pretty much only Pokemon spinoffs spinoffs on the DS. So that's why I got into this one. Yeah, because this uh, yeah, because Pokemon Ranger was one of the first of a couple of games that was the road to Diamond and Pearl. Because it took, I think it was like a four year gap between. Ruby and Sapphire. I think it may be the Emerald version. I have to double check that. And Diamond mm-hmm. and Pearl. So they wanted to like kind of whet people's appetites for that. Um, and and um, I'm sorry. What am I trying to say here? Sorry, I got sidetracked. <laughs> okay. Mis- <sighs> so, sorry, give me. A- okay. Um, anybody still there? I'm to say here, but anyway. Uh, so Ranger uh, was yeah DS game, and uh, it, it heavily made a heavy use of the stylus to play it. Because mm-hmm. uh, you had to, the main point of the game was to draw circles around Pokemon in order to convey your feelings to them and make them and make them do your bidding slash uh, suggestions as to what to do to help you out. Uh, I, I even like early on when you talk to an NPC, he's telling you about how to use the uh, controls, and he says you can use the buttons, but I'd rather go with the touch generation. If you recall Nintendo's promo promos for the DS back then um, for as for touch generation. Yeah, I, think I do remember a lot of games that used touch controls sometimes unnecessarily. Yeah, the first two years of that the, the, the DS was with the Wild West and that everybody tried to shoehorn in touch controls for for better and for worse. For, yeah, remember Ranger... Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow? Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that was fun. Got to I, draw this I complex figure. <laughs> yeah. You have to do complex thing. Or the boss just comes back with third of the towel. Yep. And every time you fail, that happens. So you better get good at doing it in the three seconds you've got. And keep your stylus in your mouth or handy. Otherwise, you're going to be scrambling for it or trying to draw it with your finger and messing it up. Yeah. And you at least, well, at least for Ranger, it was it was a major element of it. Because, again, it was the only way you could get the Pokemon to do anything for you. Uh, so I guess I mean this. I guess I could start with the what what's there's there's a sort of story there. It's very light, and a lot of it is do all these missions and increase your ranger rank. Uh, I guess I should explain what a ranger is. So uh, Pokemon Ranger takes place in the Fiori region, which is presumably somewhere in a Pokemon world, but you never really find out where any of these regions are. Um, and in the Fiori region, they don't capture Pokemon. Uh, there are these people called Pokemon Rangers. And they use this device is called the capture capture stylers that look like weird like wands. They spin a little disc around the Pokemon and it conveys their feelings and the Pokemon's understand understand them and they they follow their orders or their suggestions. Because they're supposed to be befriending the Pokemon by doing this. And they do things like rescue Pokemon, calm them down when they're enraged, get the Pokemon's help to clear obstacles and put out fires and things like that. Uh, you play. You can play as a boy or a girl. The opposite gender. It becomes a secondary character. He the the boy is Lunic Lunic, I think, and the girl is Solana. Um, you arrive in the Fiori region and you quickly become a Pokemon Ranger and you eventually uncover the schemes of the Go Rock Squad and uh, they are causing trouble 
and is I mean, I, the reason things seem stupid. Eventually, you find out that the reason they're causing trouble is because their leader was in a rivalry with a scientist called Doctor Hastings, and he wanted to destroy the Pokemon Rangers because he thought his technology to control Pokemon was better than the Pokemon Rangers or something like that. I just remember being yeah, it it's a pretty bog standard Pokemon story. Yeah, maybe even somewhat less so, because I guess he did want to capture legendary Pokemon. It was just to be a show-off. He didn't even want to take over the world or anything. He just wanted to be better than Professor Hastings. Um, I, I can tell you right now, there is one, only one reason why I bought this game and bothered to play it. It's because it it was the only one in the series that actually let you get a legit legendary Pokemon by playing through it and beating it. Oh, that's right, because yeah, that, that's also one I... I picked i bought this game eventually not be i mean it, it was kind of fun to spin around the pokemon but you got it because it was the only way to get a monothe egg mm-hmm. a uh, mythical pokemon that actually was an upcoming mythical because you could tra- you had to transfer into diamond and pearl later on and there was a after the story you beat the story you you uh play through a quest which allowed you to obtain the monothe egg and then you can transfer the monothe egg later to diamond and pearl and that particular was special or uh particular Pokemon was special, but it's because it's one of the only legendaries that could breed. So you got Fion, too, which was, looked just like a girl, Manaphy. Yeah, and weird because it's not an evolution in any way. Nintendo has never explained the connection with you, except for a vague, like, if it's born in cold waters, it'll be one Pokemon. If it's born in warm waters, it'll be another Pokemon. The closest thing yeah. we ever get to explain why they're related. But it, it, man, p- Nintendo was pushing the Ranger thing hardcore back in the day because the Rangers showed up in the anime a lot at the time. Yeah, and, and the, um, they, the ninth movie was also a. It was called Pokemon Ranger and the Temple of the Sea. It mm-hmm. was also one of the weaker movies, <laughs> and that's saying something. Pokemon movie franchise. I, I stopped watching them after the second, so I'm not. Yeah. I don't really know. <laughs> but yeah, but, I mean, they're, they're terribly cheesy. But as somebody who does like to see them, because I like to see Pokemon, like legendary Pokemon in action, on uh, that one was particularly particularly lame. But um, anyway, and uh, is there, I guess is there anything much else to say about the I mean, I've, I've wanted to play the other two games just because I've been curious about them. But by the time those came out, I already kind of got my Pokemon fix with diamond and pearl and then later black and white so mm-hmm. i i just don't see any point in playing through them yeah I mean, it's, it's fun for what it is but the first ranger is a little bare bones i mean and, and kind of going into transition to be honest if i'm gonna play a spinoff i'd rather play um pokemon mystery dungeon just because i like roguelikes a little bit better uh yeah we could touch upon the old uh, guardian signs that was the last one of the games i never played shadows of almia i imagine nobody else did Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. So Guardian Signs was the last one of that. I believe it showed up right before Black and White came out. So it was during the fourth generation. You you had fourth generation Pokemon in the game. That one I got because it was, at the time, the only way to get a Deoxys uh, without relying on an event. It was... Oh, I didn't know that. I I don't know if it's available now because you had to download the mission from RangerNet, okay. which I'm sure doesn't exist anymore because that's a oh, DS game. Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, bet it, it, I'll bet it doesn't. I'll yeah, bet I mean, maybe you're gone. lucky if you, you find a, you have a used copy that has a, down, has a quest downloaded already. But um, but yeah, that's the only way to get a Deoxys was to download this quest. And you actually had to play, you had to play it with one other person, at least one other person, because there was a couple of multi-person missions in that. So I had to, I had my copy. I rented another copy of Guardian Science and had my sister practice how to play the game so she could help me capture Deoxys. And then I did the same for her game so she could get a Deoxys too. Oh man, the so, perils of being a solo Pokemon player. 
Yeah, so at least I had, I had my sister in those years, so that was nice. <laughs> and at least she likes it enough to at least do things like that with me. Uh, but to talk about Guardian Signs proper, that one actually has a somewhat interesting-ish story. And still, I mean, it's not, not too much to write home about, but... There were some characters I liked. Uh, there was a there was a young a young teenage girl named Nima who was fancied herself a scientist, and she gave the devices she created elaborate names. Uh, you had the um, opposite gender character to you. Ben is the boy, and Summer is the girl, and um, they they were basically your personal cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the evil shenanigans going on there were perpetrated. Uh, by the Pokemon Pinchers, they used odd devices to capture Pokemon, and they're, they eventually find out they were working for a team of the four thieves. They were these legendary four thieves. They went into retirement, but they decided to ha- pull off one more heist to collect the, the golden armor, which would grant them immortality and eternal youth, and eventually take over the world. Uh, so and it was kind of neat, because early on, you don't realize they're the leaders, and then you meet these four kind of cool elderly people. Uh around town they seem nice enough and then you later find out that they're actually the um i don't i didn't see it coming anyway you find out they're those four thieves that were who commissioned the pokemon pinterest to kidnap pokemon the whole time and uh it's I, and I, I mean, i'm just remembering bits and bits and pieces because later on they have a uh, three these three admins working for them red eyes blue eyes and purple eyes i assume those are not their real names but they do have the eye corresponding eye colors uh, Purple Eyes eventually went crazy and he somehow summoned Arceus and nearly dis- wanted to destroy the world, but of course you could um, use the styler to calm Arceus down. It went away. <laughs> uh, it was kind of a nutty game, but I, I, I enjoyed it for the time. It, it wasn't just so I could get a Deoxys, <laughs> although that helped. Yeah, I mean, I, I've done... I could have played worse games to get a get a rare Pokemon, like yeah. the Pokemon Channel or whichever one it was that you had to like transfer a thousand Magikarp or some crap like that. I don't, I, I don't recall which one that was, but yeah, so that one was, so that one was a fun one with kind of a, like, like I don't remember the whole story, but I do remember the bits and bobs that were just kind of like, huh, this is kind of elaborate. Of course, later you'd get black and white. So it kind of went to the back of my mm-hmm. mind until I recalled various things. I, I did remember really enjoying the catching mechanic though, because you, you use the stylus to lasso Pokemon and as you leveled up throughout the game the lasso got longer and longer and you had to use the um, Pokemon to like b- burn down bushes or use, use special moves. And I, you I could did... also have, yeah sorry, you could also have the type, like a, a, a Pokemon of a certain type empowered so you could use it on a Pokemon that was weak to that type. Mm. You're trying to capture a grass Pokemon, have it powered by a fire type and such like things like that. Uh, we had a partner Pokemon in both games too, at least probably all three games. But uh, in Ranger, you had a Plusle or a Minum uh, that could stun Pokemon temp- temporarily. And in Guardian Sides, you had a Pichu that played the ukulele that had Aww. various effects, and that was pretty cute. How cute! But I, I, had- I did, I did remember enjoying that mechanic as a nice spin on the catching mechanic, and I kind of wished at the time that um, they had did something more like that with uh, Diamond and Pearl, but I guess they had couldn't do it like that because of accessibility reasons, because you do scratch your screen pretty bad trying oh, yeah. to catch That's, those bastards. Which might be why they never did make a Ranger game for the 3DS. No. <laughs> um, they never did revisit that series, unlike uh, Mystery Dungeon. Yeah. But hey, to good transition, Mystery Dungeon. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, uh, we did mention these a bit in the, uh, I bet we could, we could talk about them again in the, um, the uh, what's it called? The roguelike episode. I, yeah. I've only played the, 
Blue Rescue Team on a DS and um, Explorers of Sky on the uh, DS. Yeah, I only played Blue Rescue Team 2. I dabbled a little bit into Explorers in the Sky and just couldn't get into it, but I was also hmm. pretty roguelike out. Ah, okay. Um, that one I liked a bit more. Uh, the story is like kind of like a cheesy Saturday morning cartoon, but the kind that as you get later on in the episodes, it gets surprisingly darker. Mm-hmm. And ends in like a it ends in like a heroic sacrifice. So I kind of um I enjoyed it for what it was. The first uh, mystery dungeon was a little bland. I re- I remember the first game, the story getting really dark when because you know the whole premise is that you're a human that turned into a Pokemon, and somehow it gets started. The rumor gets started that you're the selfish human that caused Gardevoir to be cursed by Nine Tails. Oh and right, everybody in the town turns against you, so you have to go prove your innocence and your partner pokemon who in my game was a charmander because i think i cheesed the quiz so that i could be a meowth (laughs) but your partner pokemon was like i'm gonna clear your name no matter what and you like travel all the way to the mountain and the game talks about how you're tired and and you're just ready to give up but you're the Charmander's determined to clear your name. And I remember that story beat just kind of being really touching and also very, very dark for a Pokemon game, especially when... Well, at the time, Gardev- especially. Yeah, when your Gardevoir basically sacrifices itself to save you, you from Ninetales' curse. Well, that wasn't you anyway. If, if I recall correctly, yeah. that was Gengar that was actually a human transformed into a Pokemon, and you were just somebody else that was going to help. Yeah. Uh, save the world from the meteor that was going to crash. Yeah. And then I only briefly touched on the second one, which is the um, get Sky, or Rescuers of the Sky. Yeah, there was, there was the think. three of them, I think. There was yeah. Explorer of Time, Explorers of Darkness, and Explorers of Sky was the, you know, the yellow version, the emerald version. Yeah. So that was more with additional content. And again, that one I, I played, because, and that one, I, again, I, th- I thought was interesting. I guess I can go into more into story there, since I played more of that. Mm-hmm. So again, same thing. You wake up, you're, you're, you know you're a human, but you don't remember much about your old life, and you wake up as a Pokemon. Um, You are, you, you join a rescue team, and you've later find like you later find out that um actually, okay remember I'm, I'm forgetting a lot but like there's this grovile that actually came from the future and is trying to seemingly help you and seemingly um cause some kind of cause do something like he's not very he's seemingly not trustworthy at first later you find out that the grovile is again from the future and is actually your partner pokemon from when you were still human and you wanted to help save the world in any way you could uh you find out later that it the reason stuff it, weird stuff is going on is because dialga the uh, dragon that controls time has uh, its tower is damaged, so it's gone it to become enraged and become pr- primal Dialga. This is entirely different from primal Groudon and probably Kyogre, and apparently not really. Remote. Hmm. But uh, because he's going crazy and making time out of whack, he could eventually destroy the world. So you had to go to the Tower of Time and calm him. But in the process, uh, your character's uh, seemingly sacrifices his life, although he can be brought back through some means, and then you can do additional story content to find out what exactly that means. I guess I'm being pretty vague, but I remember it being very interesting because it's just like, it's, it's like it's a silly Saturday morning cartoon, and then it kind of gets progressively darker than you expect. Yeah, and then the two 3DS games, I I have both of them. I want to sit down and play them. I think I started the first DS game. Oh, I think it was like Super Mystery Done or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but I, I started it. And I think that was the one where you, you just outright pick your Pokemon without doing the quiz, which I thought was kind of nice because I don't have to, che- you know, cheese the quiz. 
like I usually do, but um, I started that one, didn't get very far, and then the last one, I just, I picked up on a sale one day, or I think I got it free on the eShop somehow through some deal and just didn't get around to playing it. And I, th- I think the first 3DS game had an interesting mechanic where if you put the camera on a circular object, it would generate a dungeon. Hmm, I had no idea about that. Yeah. I mean, it's something that sounds neat, especially since d- dungeons are randomly generated, so it must be neat to, you know, put the camera on a CD or something to g- get that effect. But I never tried, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I never got the uh, the later ones. It was just only those two. And well past the age, I probably would have found those impressive, so... I mean, I I like them for what they are and that they're just babies first roguelike. Hmm. I think that they're great to introduce people to roguelikes. Oh, that's why they're roguelites. Well, they're roguelites. In yeah. That case. So that, you, you know, people don't have to deal with the pain of permadeath and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and, you know, one of these days I'm going to get in a roguelike mood again and want to play, want to try a um, Gale of Darkness or Explorers of Sky. Yeah, Explorers of Sky. I don't know. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that one is a good one. I, I, I haven't played the later two, though from what I've heard, uh, Explorers of Sky is the best of the Ministry Dungeons so far. I don't, I don't know if they're going to do any more of that, because that sub-series has been laying dormant. Yeah. Not as long as Ranger, I guess. Yeah, Ranger's been pretty dead. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's not for the, the at least the RPG spinoffs on the DS. Well, oh wait, Conquest. Conquest. Yeah, I guess we you know, Conquest. Well, <laughs> it may be, it may be, it may be dead as far as like them making new ones and stuff. But hey, it's still selling. I found a copy for fifty-two bucks. Which one? Oh no, one hundred seventy-five dollars. Pokemon Which Ranger. Uh, oh, right, the original Ranger. Yeah, brand brand new in the box. Oh, Only okay. one seventy-five. That can be yours. That can be yours. Anyways, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, Pokemon Conquest here. This was developed by Tecmacoe, uh, published uh, by Nintendo and the Pokemon Company, released in North America on June 18th, 2012. And this might take you by surprise, but this is a tactical RPG experience. And uh, people who've listened to me for a while know that I do like my Musou-style games and that includes the Samurai Warrior series uh, featuring my good friend. I can't ever pronounce his name because I cannot pronounce anyone's name. I can't pronounce y'all's name, so I'm not going to pronounce Nobunaga, whatever his Nobunaga. name is. Nobunaga. And yeah. Nobunaga, yeah, the, the original game of this title in Japan was, was Nobunaga's Ambition. Is it Pokemon plus Nobunaga's Ambition? Yeah. But that's a strategy series, uh, not dumb. So, um, although uh, it does draw on a lot of you know historical Japanese figures, including Nobunaga. Let's see, it's, yeah, it's Pokemon plus Nobunaga's Ambition, and a very, a very interesting crossover title that we actually weren't sure if we we're going to get for a while because of the whole Nobunaga. I, I think we got a couple of Nobunaga's Ambition games, but certainly not a lot. It's not a very well-known series. Yeah, it's not very well-known, uh, and 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 it's it's. I've played a couple of them, and I'm not the biggest fan of those. Uh, though I'm, I more prefer their their Musou style games. And if I want something a little bit more tactical or slower paced or whatever, I tend to go for something else. But um, but you combine that somehow with with Pokemon and turn it into a tactical RPG in a blender, and you think this is gonna be a big huge mess. It's just 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 sounds like you just took your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and you threw it in a blender, and turned it into a shake. Uh, but it actually wasn't too bad. It, it actually came out pretty pretty good. Uh, so, gosh, do we even want to try to talk about the whacked out story on this I one? Mean, 
I mean, I can we can breeze through it because while it's a you know while it's a lengthy camp lengthy ish campaign, it, the story itself is pretty kind of bare bones. Um, but uh, how, oh, sorry, um, I was, I, was, I, was, I wanted to bring up something else, and then uh, what in the world was it? So Pokemon. Anyway, so I guess we we'll get into the story then. So this takes place in the Ronsei region, though it's implied to be an entirely separate universe from the rest of the Pokemon. I mean, Pokemon's already a multiverse, so whatever. Here's another world in the multiverse. Uh, seemingly taking place in, you know, ancient Japan. Uh, the Ronsei region is apparently shaped like the Pokemon Arceus, because ages past, Arceus created the Ronsei region. And Arceus, and if you wanted to meet Arceus, uh, you had to completely take over the Ronsei regions and bring all the other kingdoms under one flag. Each kingdom is represented by one of the then 17 Pokemon types, because there was no fairy type during that time. Uh, you are a beginning warlord, you begin with an Eevee, and you go around conquering the rest of the kingdoms and eventually meet Nobunaga himself. You find out that Nobunaga wants to unite the Ronsei region because he wants to destroy Arceus because he's tired of all the war that Arceus keeps causing, but you end up defeating Nobunaga and befriend Arceus. And there you go. You meet a whole bunch of, I assume, familiar Jap figures in Japanese history that I do not know. Um, but it is kind of neat that they look like their Pokemon representative. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like at least the one I can... I, like Nobunaga is represented by Zekrom, the electric dragon from Pokemon Black and White. Uh, what is What was his name again? The monkey guy. But uh, he had an uh, Infernape. And you had this guy that looks a lot like uh, Groudon. It was it was pretty neat to see them. I assume it would have been better for people who either are buffs of Japanese history or, you know, actual Japanese people <laughs> would be more familiar with these guys. It would be... It is amusing saying that this is an alternate universe where Pokemon are real, but also real history is real. Well, sort of... Well, sort of real kind history. Kind of, sort of. The episode... No the, continent I'm aware of looks like Arceus. The, the episodes often reference real historical events, such as Mitsuhide's betrayal of Nobunaga and Hideyoshi's unification of most of Japan. Okay, with Pokemon. So Passed over my head, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Don't like I am. I'm totally with you in that I played, I don't know how much, I, maybe half of this. And and you're right. Like the story was just like, eh, whatever. Go off and kill like, a bunch of stuff. Well, you didn't kill anything. You just you subjugated them and you brought them. Subjugate like, put, them uh, all. Put, put fairly peacefully, apparently. And after the game and after you befriended Arceus, the kingdoms went back to ruling themselves again. Yay! No harm, no foul. Apparently. So what's the combat like? The combat's kind of like Final Fantasy Tactics, but a lot, lot lighter. Like, so yeah. you're on a tactical grid, uh, and you're moving your, your, your Pokemon, you know, around and, and, and you're going to attack, you know, turn-based style and whatever have you. You can see their hit points right there. But, uh, I remember like each Pokemon though only has like one move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty simplistic. They had one move and I think their ability, their abilities could take effect as well. Uh, but they had one move and you just move them around and they would attack the other, the other Pokemon around them with that one move and, you could you could field up to six at a time if i could if i remember correctly hmm. yeah and it wasn't it just it, it felt very simplistic and a little for something so simple i i don't mind simple if simple is fast and it didn't feel very fast no no that's for sure like it was i thought it was fun ultimately yeah. but it was definitely slow 
Yeah. So it. Well, yeah. The, the, the story campaign was relatively uh, brisk, and there was lots of extra, like extra campaigns that I I didn't take on because for some reason you had to start over with your Pokemon. It's just like oh, the story yeah. is kind of dull, and if I have to start with the Pokemon for each each camp each extra campaign on here, what's the point if I can't like build up an army of super evolved like you know fully evolved Pokemon? So I never did anything beyond the uh, yeah. Like, they had like these like the yeah. first the main campaign and one of the extra campaigns. Yeah, they had, like, these different stories you could kind of play through. And you see that in, like, the Musou-style games. But, but like you just said, uh, your, your your stuff would start all over. You almost were starting off from scratch every time. Yeah. It's just like, and what's the point? And yeah. The still, there's still barely any story. So, I, I like, it, it's a fun, it's definitely a super fun concept, more fun than it has any means to be. But I could think of a lot funner ways to make a Pokemon tactical RPG. <laughs> Yeah, it should have had uh, you know a little bit more depth to the combat and and or some more meta tissue kind of connecting it at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was I remember if I remember correctly, I remember like in the maps you'd play. So there was there's the main combat itself, which is a tactical turn based affair. But like when you start a chapter off, you don't just start off right in a fight. There's some story, and then usually you're in charge of a castle, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going off of like 12 year memory, so correct me if some of y'all got no, something different in your head because I'm not looking at anything online at the moment. But I remember, I remember that you you would take over other towns or provinces or castles or lands or whatever it was in this in this basically kind of like a board game type of deal. And as you took them over, that's where you might discover other Pokemon or get some more resources or take you know you whatever. Yeah, you could recruit warriors or warlords, which are the humans that would have Pokemon partners. Mm. You could also command your warriors to like do extra things on the side, like extra training to build up their levels, or they could yeah. conquer smaller king, smaller kingdoms, or they could like get resources for you. So you weren't so if you had like extra warriors that you didn't have any use of and they were too low level to really use, you could still have them for other me. You could still use it for other me. Yeah, yeah. So there was that kind of like that meta game, you know, aspect to it. Um, and heaven help you if you were like heading towards the final castle that you need to conquer to get past this chapter, and the 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 warriors there had Pokemon that were basically your nemesis, like your elemental weaknesses, because that can make your life. Well, that's why you got to get a bunch of you know warriors with a bunch of Pokemon of a lot of types. So you get a bunch of warriors with a bunch of Pokemon of different types, but then it's kind of hard to kind of level them all up, especially when, like you just said, every time I start a new chapter, I got to start this process all well, over no, again. No, no, not the new chapter. I'm talking about. I was talking about after you're done with the main campaign, you beat Nobunaga, you befriend Arceus, you get like different scenarios with the different warlords. That you had to start over with. You didn't have to start over every chapter. No, that's insane. Or was it every story or whatever? No, every every story. Like when you're done with the main yeah. campaign, you had all these different chapters focused on each of the different warlords. That was where you had to start over. That's again. what I'm that's talking about. Yeah. That's what I gave up on. Yeah, that's no, what I gave up on too. New campaign. Each new chapter was uh, something yeah. That you, you still had your Pokemon. Oh, another neat thing: the uh, the warlords and the warriors, their outfits would change and get more elaborate because they would level up along with their Pokemon. And so as the Pokemon evolved, you would get, they would get like more elaborate outfits, more elaborate headgear. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It was. And included your own character. It was cute. I I definitely think it was, it was cute. And I played through the main story, but like you said, once I was done. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, and and I remember this game actually sold, at least it seems to sold down its initial shipping. It became hard to find very shortly after it was released. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the end of the DS's life. That's true. Yeah. 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 I think it came, yeah, it came out after the three, after the 3DS was out, so it probably didn't do a big print run to begin with. 
Yeah, the the prices are a little bit on the the high side if you're going on to 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 eBay. Um, I can find a cop. I can find I can find some copies under twenty thirty bucks, but they're you, they're not final prices, right? They're still on bids. Like if you want to buy it now, you're talking thirty bucks for a for like just a cartridge, or maybe like a cartridge with an empty box. If you want like the full shebang, uh, there's a brand new one here for one hundred sixteen dollars. Uh, found another one for ninety nine dollars. So yeah, it's not the cheapest. It's not the cheapest date, and it's one of the few games. And my DS library, I mean, for me, I think it's okay. It's a fine enough game, but I just, I played through it once and I knew, I knew I was done with it and I wouldn't want to revisit it. So I actually did sell that. I don't sell too many games because I like to, I don't, I hate to have seller's remorse. Um, so I've got a huge library of, of, of DS and 3DS and even Game Boy Advance games. But it's one of those games that I sold and I don't really regret because i remember playing it through enjoying the campaign enough to where i got what i wanted out of it but it's so simplistic it, it just i i have no no desire to go back and do another run through it's uh, I, I thought i thought it was pretty fun the time through but there's really no reason to do any of the extra campaigns after the main story and uh this would have been like this would have been excellent to like uh to improve upon in a sequel but yes oh i would buy if they just did yeah you're right if they did a pokemon conquest 2 and just gave the pokemon even just their standard move set from the the main rp a little faster a little bit faster involving (laughs) i would have paid 40 bucks here you go take it uh hideyoshi the monkey guy is hideyoshi Uh, he has the chimchar and infernape lines so I, I have I've got this I got it for Christmas. Um, say I'm bored like on a weekend or whatever. Do you think I'll have fun playing it, or you think I ought to just keep it no, in my? If, if you, no, if you haven't played it yet, I think it'd be fun to like at least try it for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say you probably also wouldn't. I mean, maybe you would, but you might. might uh, but yeah, without the ability to like keep the same team of Pokemon and Warlords for each of the extra campaigns after the main story, I, I don't see the. I mean, I have, I very rarely ever do ex- extracurricular stuff after the main story anyway, so uh, that's okay, then. that's not a problem. But you know, having a basically po- Pokemon Final Fantasy Tactics sounds like right up my alley. And I'm surprised I've never done a tactical no. RPG before. No, there. I I think uh, sometime I I know uh, like some years back, apparently Nintendo was interested in doing a Pokemon and Fire Emblem crossover, but not only did that never happen, that turned into a very different sort of crossover with another series. Oh, yeah. But that's for another day, I guess. Oh, I will gush about that when we talk about it, but not today. Yeah, yeah. not today. Uh, so Pokemon times Fire Emblem, I would totally get that. <laughs> so, one, what we, we key, uh, before we wrap it up, there's, there's a couple of, of, of things. One is, before we talk about the, the, the last... <laughs> spinoff which <laughs> just no way we could have a show about pokemon spinoffs without talking about this last title uh i first want to you know y'all had briefly mentioned the pokemon mystery dungeon just to remind our listeners uh we're not talking about those particular games because while they are pokemon spinoff games we actually covered them under a about them. yeah about a show we did on roguelikes a while back um yeah we talked a little bit about it here but if you want more detail uh, you want to go ahead and check in on our roguelikes. I'll see if I can find that episode real quick while we're talking about our next game, uh, just so listeners can know if they want to go back and check that out. But, yeah, but not to uh, my horn, the main highlight of that was me trying to explain Baroque's crazy story. <laughs> um, but uh, the last game on the list, and most certainly <laughs> not the smallest, probably more played than all the rest of these put together, is Pokemon Go. 
developed by Neontic? Neontic? Neontic, Yeah, um, published by the same. This was released on uh, basically cell phones, Android and iOS, on July 6, 2016. And I do have a little bit of a story here. I've not played Pokemon Go. I have no desire to play Pokemon Go. However, I had a friend who played Pokemon Go that I worked with. And then after, like, he he was really into it and played it for a year or so. Well, one day he doesn't come into work and and he calls us and tells us that he's in the hospital and he's been hit by a car. Well, I knew one of his relatives, and I talked with him trying to get more details, and she told us that what happened was he was playing Pokemon Go while walking down the sidewalk through the driving lot, or the parking lot of a store, and it's a bit of a debate of whether the driver was paying attention or not, and whether or not he was paying attention because he was busy catching Pokemon at the time, and uh, ended up getting a compound fracture over it. It was a really nasty accident. Uh, had um, oh the episode that we want is episode one sixty two. Do you like this rogue? Oh, there you go, one sixty two. So you can go and check that at rpgamer.com. We have full archives of all of our shows there. So go and check that one out if you want to hear more about uh, Pokemon, whatever. What were we talking? Oh, Mystery, Mystery Dungeon. Dungeon. Mystery well, if Dungeon. If you put both of these t- both these episodes together, you can get a pretty good overview of Mystery Dungeon, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon as a whole. Yeah. I don't have any stories as dramatic as someone actually walking into the path of an oncoming car while playing Pokemon while Go. playing Pokemon Go. <laughs> but there are worker people in my office who are still playing it. Somebody went out on break this morning and attempted a, dun- a gym raid. Well, and I have another friend who plays that Harry Potter game that's clearly inspired by What's Pokemon Go. Yeah, same develop the same developers. It's Niantic, so you know they're free to do the same thing if they want. Yeah, there you go. I didn't know that. Now I learned something new. So, do do any of y'all play Pokemon Go? Um, I I dabble in it off and on. Um, my my problem. uh, See, I I live in a very rural area, and it it is very hard to find Poke stops where I live unless I go either downtown or go to um to the movie theater because there's like two or three of them right in the movie theater and unfortunately when they did that big nerf where um, if you're going too fast you can't do anything that completely messed up my game because I'm most most of the time I'm a passenger in my husband's car so I I would just kind of pick it up and you know catch Pokestops like while we were driving and stuff like that and now I can't do that and that killed 90% of my game time and I understand why they That's did it, because, you know, pe- people were getting in wrecks and stuff, but at <laughs> yeah. the same time, it's also very frustrating for people like me who live, um, don't live in a major metro area and don't really get to go a lot of places. Yeah, I do, I I actually do play the game on a daily basis, not for very long, especially if I don't have a lot of time, I at least do little daily things. Catch one Pokemon, get one Pokestop, do one of the uh, tasks, and there you go, maybe on the weekends I might walk around and do stuff with it. It's fun! I was kind of reluctant to get into it, and then my sister, like, got me a new phone and downloaded my phone. I said, fine, I'll try it, and next thing you know, I just want to keep playing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, I, it's... I'm, I'm lucky. I, like, Long Island's not, is not New York City, certainly not New York City, not even Queens, but things are pretty compact enough here that I have a Pokestop, like, maybe two blocks away, so it's easy for me to, like, just walk over there, get in, and then come back. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, unless I go, go downtown, I don't really get that many Pokestops. 
Um, when, when I went to San Francisco for vacation last year, I pretty much drained the battery on my phone every day playing because the, downtown San Francisco, where our hotel, our hotel was at, was crammed full of Pokestops. Wow. Because yeah, I, I, that's how it looks like whenever I do go into city or heck, even to Queens, there's a ton of them clumped around in areas. Well, it definitely created some hubbub uh, when it first came out and uh, some of the public relations stuff that you're talking about as far as causing maybe possibly <laughs> accidents and increased foot traffic. I remember like some of the stores even here, you know, where I live at uh, that became a, you know, that were flagged as a hub when the game first was really catching on. And the owners didn't even know what to do with all these people who were suddenly, you know, traipsing all over the place. Not there to buy anything. They're just there to catch Pokemon. So it was no, kind of I, interesting. Just, yeah. There was like other things. Like I distinctly remember a Vaporeon showed up in Central Park and there were like tons of people trying to get it. Um, and then you get stories of like how much weight people had lost because they were doing a heck of a lot more walking <laughs> than they ever had before. I, I think the surreal part for me was seeing a post on Reddit where somebody was riding around on a bike to hatch an egg in real uh, in the game and we're like okay game has come full circle because somebody is now actually doing this in real life um, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't introduced breeding into the into Pokemon Go yet because then that'd be really true to life yeah yeah I mean, eggs randomly. I mean it, it, it's it's a really fun game when I get to play it and yeah I have people I work with seem to keep liking it enough that they keep going and, and playing it even what is, it's now three years since it was introduced, and they can still go out and play. And... They've introduced the fourth generation recently, and they still have another three, and soon four more to go. So this could go on for a while. Yeah. Well, that and they, they t- tied it into an actual. Uh, is it Let's Go a mainline yes. title? Yeah, Let's Go is considered a mainline title, even though it's a remake. Yeah. It takes a lot of um, takes a lot of aspects and mechanics from Go. But yeah, P- Pokemon Go can, can connect directly to Let's Go to transfer. Then that's a that is, that was a bit surreal. Not to, that's a bit surreal. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it, that that saved me. It, that actually let me get a, a full Pokedex because I managed to catch a bunch from the version that I didn't buy. Same here. Uh, like you don't even have to like like trade trade for the uh, Pokemon that can only evolve by trading. You could just evolve them and go, and then transfer them to Let's Go. Yeah, that was that was handy, mm-hmm. but. Um, I'm kind of losing sleep over whether or not I'm going to get a Meltan or not because that involves quite a lot of side stuff. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, I did it because I have a apparently when I have a lot of time on my hands. Sometimes I, have, sometimes I have a lot of time on my hands. Apparently, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they'll give a give another way to get a Meltan for people that don't have access well, to they go. Have- they have a Meltan, uh, like they have a was it those special tasks they're called that you could complete all of those things, like complete each task and then you get a special Pokemon. That's how you get the uh, the mythical Pokemon like Mew and Celebi in Pokemon Go. Yeah, I I need to look at what those tasks are. Yeah, I think one of those life. is for Meltan. So if you go through all of those, you can get one. Although you have to work on that to get a Mel Metal. I uh... it's like four hundred candies or something crazy like that. Oh, lovely. <laughs> I think my roadblock with that was actually uh, making more Pokemon friends, which I didn't get a chance to do, or haven't gotten a chance to do, because I'm very shy. Uh, I mean, if you need an extra friend code. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, somebody else will post their friend code, and I'll be like, hey, I mean, hi. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah it f- certainly is a fun game. Surprisingly fun, yeah. And it does seem to be the most played Pokemon game of them all. 
I mean, when, when it was yeah. making national news, <laughs> that amused me. Oh, yeah, just like, huh, okay, that's interesting, wow. Pokemon's popular again, question mark? Was it ever not popular? I, well, I guess, you got me there. Um, in I, relative terms, I suppose, yes, but in an absolute sense, when Pokemon is better known than most of the series we talk about at RP Gamer, I'd have to say, probably not. Oh, easily, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know about the most recent Pokemon Festival, but I remember one of the Pokemon Festivals just being a PR disaster because, you know, people took off work to go to it, and the servers weren't working correctly. Oh, and... yeah, I remember that. that there's one of the Chicago in Chicago. Yeah, that was a mess. They've gotten better, I think. Uh, at least I haven't heard it making news again. Yeah. Yeah, the servers were a wreck when this game released, too. It was, a, it was a buggy mess. Luckily, a lot of that's gotten better. I'm, I'm just glad that you can trade now. Well, it definitely, uh, it definitely made a huge mark and brought in all kinds of players who didn't even play Pokemon before. Uh, and and I know for a while my wife was playing it because her brothers are big into it, and they're like, "You got to catch us these Pokemon for whatever you know, trade with us, whatever." And she was doing it for a while. Didn't really hook her the way it hooked them, so she's not playing it anymore. But uh, but it's definitely it's definitely has left a huge huge mark on the world. So uh, not just I mean Pokemon's already of course a huge phenomenon yeah, and, yeah. and is a cultural hit, but this just this just took it even further. Just another step. Yeah, it, it has me a little worried for the series, depending on how well Sword and Shield sells, and with the current controversies with the Pokedex, I'm a little worried about where the Pokemon Company may want to put their focus after this. Right. Because, uh, yeah, I'm sure, I don't even know what you do when you're one of these big companies and you say, okay, I make a standard Pokemon game and it makes us, you know, 300 million. Uh, we make Pokemon Go and it makes us 3 billion in worldwide revenue, which is how much the game has grossed <laughs> as of December 2018. Uh, it's insane. Uh, oh, that so December 2018, meaning it doesn't take in the last two quarters of revenue. Yeah, it's probably up to four billion by now in worldwide I mean, revenue. I, I mean, as I understand it, Pokemon Go isn't quite the money isn't quite the money maker, even if it is probably one of the biggest apps. I think it's. I was reading. Uh, I like to. I like to play, uh, I forget if it's Clash of Clans or Clash Royale that I was reading about, but one of those two, because I play them both, but I was, I was, you know, I'll pay five bucks here, five bucks there, nothing big, but man, I was reading how the, how that one game had over like a bajillion dollars, like a billion dollars or something. I'm like, holy cow, I know how much, I'm the finance guy in my company, I know how much we make, and we have like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees, and we don't come close to that. You know, it's like, holy cow, that's insane. So yeah, they 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 they're doing something there. But anywho, uh, well, thank you all so much. I think that's going to wrap it up for our main event. Uh, we're going to take a break, uh, and then we're going to come back. And uh, we haven't done a CRPG club in a while, so we're going to come back and talk about ease. Some ease. We're going to ease into some ease. We're going to ease in with this music. Started to play some ease. I've started to play some ease. I've finally listened to Mike. I just uh, we'll we'll talk about more. We'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about it just a minute. So hold on tight. Ease or wise? Ease. It's ease. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
Welcome back. This is a segment we call the CRPG Club, where we talk about computer role-playing games. Uh, haven't done this in a little while. Got behind on this, and uh, I start off the year, as long-time listeners know, kind of saying, okay, I'm going to have this list of games. I'm going to work through it in the year, and that's just gone way by the wayside, partly because my job has just been working me so many hours and it's so mentally demanding that when i got get home and i'm you know got a choice between playing something that's as deep as let's say you know the witcher or seek at the silver blades or just flopping in front of my playstation and you know shooting a bunch of things uh, i i've been going to the playstation honestly but i have found the solution because i do need to play more computer role-playing games and that is playing something that isn't quite so tactical and strategic and deep thinking and i found that in a game called ease ease you like ease don't you oh yes it's one of my favorite series yeah yeah i just said you know what i just need to i think one of the cool things about being a gamer and having a good gaming collection um is it's is that uh, you could have like uh, different points in your life where you need something a little bit simpler <laughs> and more action packed, mm-hmm. and and you've got RPGs that fill that niche, and that's pretty much what the E series is about. I've never really played them, and and Mister Minky's talking about them all the time. He stepped out for a few minutes, but I was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down, and I, it was that I had a three day weekend uh, a weekend or two ago. I was like, you know, I heard that you can knock out one of these games in just a few hours, mm-hmm. especially if you have an FAQ next to you. That first game is, like, criminally short. Um, I first played it on the um, DS back in the day uh, and, and just couldn't believe how short it was. Right? So so we're talking about uh, – we're going to talk about Ease Chronicle or Ease 1 and 2, which is really the Ease Chronicle compilation I'm playing. Now, the original game, from what I understand, uh, came out you know way back, 1986, 87, and it was kind of re-released on the, the TurboGrafx CD in 89 and had numerous, numerous uh, re-releases and compilations like you just mentioned, the DS. Uh, we could be here all day just listing all of them. Uh, I think it's one of the most re-released games of all time. Yeah, yeah. and uh, But uh, we're specifically talking uh, about the PC. So the PC uh, version, which is Ease 1 and 2 Chronicles Plus, according to GOG. And that was released on February 14th, 2013. And it does work on Windows 7, 8, and 10. Uh, and I can attest to the Windows 7 because that's the computer I have. And uh, yeah, so, so 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 we won't spend too much time on this, but deep deep story here, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> long long ago, there was an ancient kingdom called Ease, which prospered on the auspices of two heavenly goddesses. Over time, the kingdom became known as Asteria, and its divine history was largely forgotten by. Uh, by all but the descendants of those who once preached the goddess's will. The only remainder of that lost lore was a cursed spire at the foot of a giant crater, which locals came to regard as the Devil's Tower. Eventually, the men and women who called Asteria their home began mining a uniquely radiant silver from the nearby mountains, and development boomed. Towns were built, and the land became rich with life. Then, all at once, monsters began to appear. Only a few at first, but soon enough the land was swarming with them, and the Asterians had no choice but to hide in fear, remaining ever vigilant just to stay alive. That's where our hero comes in, Adel Christian. With no regard for his safety, Adel sets sail towards Asteria through the heretofore impassable barrier of never-ending storms. There he was destined to become ensconced within a 700-year-old mystery that would ultimately take him to the long-lost land nestled amongst the clouds. There's your story set up. 
Now, I, I'm going to go out on a whim here and say that the story starts out with Adol being washed up on a beach. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, yep, blossom on a beach, yep, mm-hmm, yep. How did you know? Oh, it's not a Yee's game unless he gets washed up on a beach. He really should stay away from boats. He doesn't have good luck with those things. No, he does not. Mm-mm. Um, so I, I will even take a few, I will step, so that's the very beginning game, but I'll even step a little bit further back than that. And let me just say the introduction, the, the, that they have for this game, when you first turn it on is kick ass anime with rock and roll synthesized music. It's awesome. I freaking love the soundtrack in these games. I, I put it on my, um, iPod back in the day just to date myself and would listen to it all the time at work when I had an office job. You can you can go on to YouTube, look these songs up easy, just look for the the ease uh the ease one especially, but the, both of them the introduction is easy to watch online. It actually looked better on YouTube than it did on my mm-hmm. computer running the game because when the game first ran it was all stretched out all over my screen. It took me a while to figure out that there is a separate configuration program included uh, in the GOG version that allows you to configure the game to just run it in a window, which I prefer so I can get it at the proper aspect ratio. But um, uh, regardless, great, great, great music. And um, I will be honest, I really didn't, really wasn't that much into the story itself. Monsters overtaking the island. We need to kick these monsters, but there's a big evil tower in the middle. You need to climb it and save us. And that was my personal takeaway, but I'm sure there's something deeper here, right? I mean, it's very typical early 80s, early 80s JRPG story. It's not going to win any awards for originality, but the charm in the game is the fun. Or the battle yeah. system. Yeah, time out just one second, but I'll also say the, the charm of this is also in the in the graphics um the, there's a lot of little cut scenes in between when you're talking to people you get these because this is a remake but you get these beautiful hand drawn you know pictures of the characters and and very beautiful colors well detailed when you're in the towns and you're in the um uh, various shops they clearly have taken time with this 2D pixel art to make it look very attractive. Some of the dungeons are just dungeony and whatever, and yeah, I wasn't uh, I wasn't too thrilled with it with the dungeon side of it. But I really do think there was a lot of time and, and effort uh, put into making the towns feel nice and fantasy like. Oh, ba- back in the if I would have played this back in the day, I would have been in all of the uh, shop scenes and the f- full screen character portraits and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I you know, I'm just uh, now I'm kind of curious and I'm kind of taking a look at so now if you go back to the original the original graphics and I'm just looking up at various early versions from the 80s like the TurboGrafx 16. Uh I will say like uh, they did actually at least a couple of screenshots I have here are some of the be- uh, some of the beautiful anime pictures. Of course they're a bit more pixelated. They didn't have the resolution back then, but they, at least it looks like they try to focus on, hey, we're going to have some cutscenes where you're going to have close-ups of these characters. So the remake is actually just taking that forward with higher resolution, but that I think that must have been pretty cutting edge back then to have such beautiful cutscenes of or still art of the characters taking up the whole screen while you were talking with them. Mm-hmm. And, and if I recall, I think the Turbo Graphics uh, the Turbo Graphics CD version had voice acting. Oh wow! Well, that definitely would have been really ahead of its time. Yeah, vo- voice acting and Redbook audio, which 
was unheard of back then. Yeah, amazing. So uh, the co- let's talk about the combat real quick, uh, and because it is <laughs> easy to talk about real quick. Yes, it is. Uh, so it is the <laughs> what are we going to call this? The bump system. Yes, bump it up system. So if you're if you're so in order to attack an enemy, you don't even press an attack button. You just run into them. However, if you run directly into the direction that they're facing you will both take damage you will take more damage than you really want to and you won't survive too many hits you'll probably die before the monster will um but if you attack the monster at an angle even a slide off angle uh you will hit the monster take very little if any damage at all and and get through them rather quickly because you can just keep running into them and their hit points a little way if you've ever played one of those old nintendo games uh, where they don't give you any moments of invulnerability. Like, there's... Yeah. Yeah, where, where if a monster's on you, your health just goes down so fast because there's no invulnerability moments. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what you can kind of do with these enemies when you get them stuck in a corner and you're just bumping into them at an angle. It's like their health just goes... It's very the satisfying. Con- the converse is that they can do that to you. Mm-hmm. Particularly with the bosses. If you don't get the bosses at oh. the right angle, you're like, oh, lovely, I'm dead. I need to level up some more. Yeah, the bosses, yeah, and, and so, you know, oh my gosh, the leveling, in the first game, there's only 10 levels, and every level makes such a huge, huge difference. Your attack will go from, like, 15 to 30 to 50, and the the monsters, and especially the bosses, are kind of level-gated. If you aren't at the right level and or don't have the right armor to make your attack value equal to whatever their magical defense number under the hood is, um, or greater, you simply won't do any damage. Or you'll do so little damage, you might as well not be doing damage. Uh, it, it can really, yeah, it can end poorly. So you have to go out there and level up or find out why you don't have the right weapon yet. There's not that many weapons in the game. There's only like four weapons, four armors, four shields. Um, but And each one only changes your numbers by five or ten. And you wouldn't think that's a big difference, but it is because... Um, even if your attack's 100, the monster's defense, I'm going to make up some numbers here, the monster's defense might be 100, that means you're not doing a whole lot of damage, but if you can get the uh, sword that's 5 more than what you had before and you're at 105, well now you're doing 5 points of damage instead of 1 point of damage, so you're doing a lot more damage, you know, so, and then if you get a level and you get 15 more attack, now you're up to 120, now you're going to kick its ass. So, uh, yeah, levels make a huge difference, and and I found myself maxed out uh, roughly halfway through the game (laughs) in experience, because... Because you cap out at 10. And once you're at 10, you accrue no more experience. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I think my favorite thing about that game is that um, you go, or if you stand still on the world map, you heal. Oh, and yeah. Later, and I think later on in the game, you get a ring that lets you heal inside dungeons, but at a slower rate. And outside, you pretty much heal up almost instantly if you stand still. Right. Um, yeah. No. It, I love that ring. And and you got you get different rings. Like one will double your attack power. Um, one will double your defense. And, and again, this sounds like it's mind blowing. But if you don't already have the enough attack power to scratch it without the ring, you won't scratch it with. And the rings don't work on oh. bosses anyway. So go figure that one out. But um, but for the most part, um, as cool as half you know max defense and half whatever sounds, I usually had the healing ring on because it was cool. To be able to stand in dungeons and just heal up, and then yeah, when you're outside, you really zip up that health. Yeah, and the and the the last dungeon was really well designed too because it had spots that were outside of the tower that counted as outside. Mm-hmm. So if if you if you're really hurting, you could backtrack to one of those spots and um, well, heal almost instantly, or just do what I did and set your beat down for yeah. ten minute ten minutes. 
the yeah yeah the I was going somewhere with that, and then it totally left my brain. But the dungeons, so the dungeons start off, so, so this is where E starts to lose me, because the, the first few dungeons, there's only there's only like three or four dungeons, let's be honest, it isn't that many dungeons, but the first few were pretty cool, and I enjoyed them, and worked my way through and bumping into monsters. I really, really enjoyed the, the combat system. Uh, I just enjoyed tearing through those monsters. I didn't mind grinding at all. You, you seem to level up at a real good clip. Once I hit level 10, then they're then there really wasn't any reason to kill monsters anymore aside from gold gold and i had enough gold so uh but i still destroyed them because damn it it was fun yeah <laughs> um but once what yeah then you get to the bosses and yeah the first boss wasn't too bad and then you meet mr vampire boss do you remember him oh yes i hated him because of all the bats he 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 basically flies around as a bunch of bats most of the time and and when he does he's he's pretty invulnerable uh you have to wait for him to coalesce and then you just have one split second to run into him or run through him and you'll do some damage but if you mess up that timing he's already turned back into bats and as we mentioned before there's no vulnerability period and suddenly you're taking damage like no one's business and there's no healing in a boss battle so a lot a lot of those boss battles feel a little bit more like shoot him up Mm -hmm. kind of segments than um RPG seconds because you're dodging so much stuff and you've got the you've got the magic which is useful but you only have so many magic points so you really got to time your shots and that that last boss dark fact just uh, uh, can be so pretty tough. We're totally going to spoil this for you guys because that's what we do here on RPG Backtrack. But this this last boss, you're right, it feels a lot more like a shoot 'em up than an RPG. He zips, you know, he bounces off the sides of the screen going diagonally. And normally, normally when you're like playing any other Nintendo game, you want to avoid bosses that are flying over the screen like that. But in this case, you really do want to run into because that's how you hurt them. But the way he's hurting you is he's shooting fireballs all the time that are nighly impossible to avoid. Then every time you do touch him and hit him and do some damage, the ground that you're standing on right there, a chunk of it falls away. So if you stop for that brief moment, you're dead. Um, and then if the if the ground falls away in a way that it traps you on one side or it traps you in a corner, now you can't dodge. Now you can't get to him. You're dead. Uh, there were so many ways to like die, and those fireballs are persistent. I, it actually when I the, the the strategy I came up with was screw the fireballs. I'm just gonna get hit. Stop worrying about the fireballs. Think of them like a timer. Like I've got that much time to kill the enemy. Uh, and 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 if I can survive long enough not to fall into the, the pit traps that keep forming and not get trapped in a corner, I, I, I'm very, I tell you, the game has a very generous save system, at least in this PC version. You could save anywhere, anytime, and if it wasn't for that, I'd be a little bit, I, I probably wouldn't have got through this lost boss, because I kid you not, I just saved right before him, and I must have reloaded 20 times before I finally beat him. I think I played on the easiest difficulty, which gave you a pretty pretty lenient um, damage ah, mitigation. That was probably a smart move on your part, because yeah, he just, he was no joke. I had no problem with the enemies. The vampire guy took me like three or four tries, but, and I've heard some people say that the vampire enemy's the toughest one. For me, it was final boss, dude. Mm-hmm. I was, I was getting a bit ticked. But for me, the, the probably, probably the thing that was like really kind of eh, for me was that final dungeon. So it's very long. It's a 25 floor tower, though they seem to got lazy with like the last three floors because you just zip right up them. Um, and there's a lot of puzzles. There's items you got to use in specific places. My favorite one, and I say this sarcastically, was you go into one hallway and it's got some magic 
at at work here that a bunch of sound is keeping you from moving forward. In fact, it'll kill you if you stand in it because the sound in that hallway is so loud. One of the NPCs allude to the fact that there's a giant organ. You know, so read into this. There's pipes somewhere, right? So you mm-hmm. backtrack, and I'm like, I have no clue what the hell they're talking about. Thankfully, thanks to our good friends on the internet, I had a game fact in front of me. I looked it up, and what it said was, you know, you mentioned the outdoor areas before. In that dungeon, when you're going up the, the spire, there are, the, you know, you're going on the outside, and there are pillars on the outside, and apparently, and these pillars you've seen over and over and over again as you've gone up every single floor, and one of the pillars is a pipe organ pipe that is brittle enough to break with a hammer that you picked up earlier if you backtracked and picked it up, which in itself might be something you passed up. But you got to hit this one pipe. And I looked at that pipe. I read the FAQ. I walked up to the pipe in question. I looked at the other columns, the you know pipes, whatever, next to it. I didn't even see anything that said, hit me, hit me. I tried hitting my hammer on the other columns. It doesn't even say that you tried. Like, it's it's very obtuse. But you ri- walk up to the fourth column from the left, and you hit it. It's a sign of the times, right? But you hit it, and that breaks it, and now you can get through the trapped hallway. So definitely, if you don't like obtuse adventure-style puzzles, you're going to want to have an FAQ close by. I, I think the puzzle in this that frustrated me the most was that whole mirror maze. Oh my that- gosh, yeah. That entire room looks the same, oh, yeah. and it's impossible to figure out where you need. And even even with a um, fact, it can be trying to yes. figure out where you need to go because everything looks so the same. So just trying to orient yourself. Oh, well, thank you for saying that because I was just beginning to think I was just stupid. No, no, you're not. You're not stupid. That that's. A, I mean, it they had with what they had to work with, but it's, it's a horrible puzzle. Yeah, and you've you've got a back and you've got to backtrack through it so many times. Right. Um, so I got through the first game and I enjoyed it with an FAQ towards the end. I didn't use an FAQ till you know probably the the next last dungeon. I had to look up one thing, and then for the last dungeon, I relied on it almost the entire way because I was tired of backtracking. The uh, I got so I did get stuck on a couple little adventure style puzzles up until that point too that I had to look up. Then with the second game, so I jumped immediately into the second game because the first one. You know, some people were saying they beat it in two to three hours, and they probably do. They know exactly what they're doing. For me, it did, even with an FAQ, it did take me probably six hours. Um, so, because I, I, well, I didn't use an FAQ all the way through. Let me be fair. I try to figure stuff out myself, which wasted time. <laughs> so, if you, if you use an FAQ all the way through, you could probably get through it, you know, in three hours, four hours. Anywho, with the second game, so I started off. And it feels very much like the first. I mean, they're bundled together. They're packaged together. They're using the same engine. So there's nothing, you know, really revolutionary here. I really think the first town was, you know, was even more detailed, even more pretty. Uh, and, I, you know, I like the, the, you know, the opening that gets you kind of started, kind of very similar. You got to go into a shaft, a mine. I think not only does he get washed up on shore a lot, but is it is it just me or do does he often have to go into a mine nearby to save somebody right off? Yes, almost always. And his friend Dogie also almost always shows up and smashes through a wall. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. So uh, I go into the mine to save the guy. I'm looking forward to the first dungeon. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be like the first game. So I'm not going to look at, I'm not, I don't need to rush to an FAQ. I'm trying to play these games to relax. And, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned before, I don't want anything deep, too strategic. I don't want to think. I just work so much. I don't even want to look at 
text uh, a whole lot. I know RPGs and don't want to look at text. I don't mind reading a story. <laughs> I just don't want to research, you know? I don't want to think. Right. So I go into this dungeon, and you mentioned the teleportation doors before and that spire being a pain in the ass. Well, in this cave, once you get around the corner, once you can get into it and you farm up a few monsters, farm up a few levels. Well, I mean, first thing you notice is that you get levels a little bit faster, but your your increases are a lot more incremental. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're just getting three attack per level instead of 15, but there's going to be a lot more levels. Okay, well, that's cool. So I go in the dungeon and I start and I work my way around the corner into the, the shaft mine. And immediately you go you go into this one room and it has another door. Okay, go to the other door. Another room, another door. Okay, I keep doing that at like five floors down. Now you're in a room with two doors. Do you take the left door or the right door? Uh, okay, I'll take the left door. You're in another room. It has two doors. Do you take the left door or the right door? I guess I'll take the left door again. You're in another room. It has three doors, left, right, north, south. Uh, 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 you know, like, are you keeping track of this? Because you, this thing gets deep. And I was like, holy shit. So, okay, I'm trying to take a couple little notes. I'm tired. I just want to beat the crap out of things and bump into them. Uh, <laughs> and apparently there's these statues scattered throughout. You're supposed to return the books of ease that you found in the first game, which I thought was a pretty cool tie-in. But I could only find five, and I couldn't seem to get any further in the story. And so I finally broke down, look up an FAQ. Now, you mentioned before that it can be difficult to navigate that final dungeon even with an FAQ with maps. That was mm-hmm. me. Like, I was staring at the monitor for 15 minutes looking at this map that somebody had drawn uh, using computer software, whatever. But they had drawn it up, and he had arrows and text saying this door leads to this one and whatever have you. And my jaw hit the ground. I seen <laughs> accounting flow charts that were easier to figure out. Uh, and that's the first dungeon. So it's almost like the second game, in a way, could tease the first one, not only in terms of story, but in terms of, like, the complexity of the dungeons. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> That's artificial padding back in the heyday, yeah. if you ask me. Yeah. So I, I do kind of want to play more because I like the combat. I want to kind of see where the lore is going. And just to say that I've done it and done the whole series. But at the same time, when I'm playing during the weekdays, I'm like, I don't want to sit there. FAQ, like, I got an FAQ open on one screen. I got the game open on the other. And it just feels more like an accounting research thing than, than that, you know, tax research. That just... I just want to kill things. I say stick with it and don't be afraid to consult an FAQ, especially if you, especially with some of the more complex dungeons, just because they are they can get pretty obtuse. But it, it does it is a fun game. How about how about I just call you each time and you just talk me through? Okay, Phil, what are you seeing right now? Okay, you're going to go to the left door there, left door that. Did you bring the rod of destruction? You're going to need the rod of destruction. <laughs> Um, can I charge you 10 bucks an hour? Oh, there you go. <gasps> You'll be like the Nintendo hotline. Yes. Yeah, that's a smart move on your part. Make some money off of it. Okay. Hella, hella. I should probably do 15 an hour. Get I, more than oh, they do, wage. they do like, what is it? Isn't it like two ninety nine a minute or something? I mean, holy yeah, hell. Ridiculous like that. Yeah, run up that parent's phone bill. So in the meantime, I, I was, uh, the last couple of nights, uh, I asked, um, uh, I asked somebody what was the next game, and I've been playing. So I've been playing Oath of whatever, hoping that because, as you said, those those obtuse puzzle and adventure designs were definitely a sign of the time. So I'm hoping like the later games, it's a little bit more, a little bit more streamlined and straightforward in that regard. With the, oh yeah. So so far, so far, I will say we'll talk about that in another show. This isn't the time to talk about uh, you know the next game in the series, but I will say 
One of the things I forgot to mention about the first two games that's totally in this third game. It's in all the games so far, and I hope this continues all the way through E's 8. I love, love, love the fact that when I kill monsters, they blow up into blood and chunks. <laughs> it's, I, such a cute, sure. it's such a cute-looking game, but then when I kill the monsters, whether it's E's 1, 2, or this third one I'm playing, they're like, they literally blow up into chunks with some splatterings of blood. It is awesome. I don't think they continue that in E's 8, Aww. but I'm not sure. It should be an option. But I will say, it gives the game a visceral feel to it. Uh, so, But we'll talk more about, uh, you know, uh, the third game. Another another junction, because we're running out of time. We, we need a full Yee's um, backtrack, is what we need. I can't remember if we did one before or not. I'm just now catching up with this stuff. But... but- with all the re-releases, it might be a good idea to revisit. You know, what we're going to do, so here on the CPG Club, that's what I'm going to do, is each each CRPG, I'm going to continue, as long as I, I like the series, and right now I, I don't see why I wouldn't, because right now I need more brainless, so it's either going to be this or some other action RPG. But, uh, but the beautiful thing is, in this day and age, the entire series minus, I think it's East 5, is on the PC. And from what I understand, East 5 just hasn't really come to the US, so it's not even a PC issue. You can find fan translations of five pretty mm. easily. So um, you can imp, imp, or um, emulate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but even then, you know, depending. I mean, five is so different that you're not going to really miss anything by skipping it be, because it is so different. They kind of mm. tried to do something different for the Super Nintendo, and I don't think it worked too well. It, it's an okay game, but it's not an okay ease game. Hmm. If that makes any sense. No, no, totally, totally. Um, so maybe maybe I'll fart around with it and, and see if I can find downloaded. Um, but I'll worry about that bridge when I get to it. But yeah, yeah, if you want to play along with us, uh, first of all, we have a CRPG club in our Discord, uh, a channel in our Discord thingy at, at Gamer. So head over to rpgamer.com. There's a community thing at the top. You can click on that to get to our Discord server, jump on in, and there's a channel for CRPG club where I have been pasting pictures of my Ease experience and chatting with the guys there about Ease. Uh, you can buy this game off of, I believe, Steam. As I'm buying all of mine, uh, I have the entire Ease collection from GOG. Uh, it's $14.99 for Ease 1 and 2 Chronicles Plus. You can buy that on sale for half that price or less if you uh, are a little strapped for cash. But I would I would definitely recommend for Ease 1 and 2, I definitely recommend giving it a shot. Even if, even if you're not a big fan of the puzzles, you can FAQ along with it just to experience uh, some classic 1980 gaming with a facelift. Uh, and it's just pretty. It's just pretty nice and relaxing after playing a lot of deeper strategic RPGs. So, also, if you want to go the portable route, most of the series is available on Vita. Oh yeah, yeah, Vita. I've got, I think PSP. A lot of these games yeah. are on PSP. Well, the the it's the PSP ones work on Vita. They're backwards compatible, and the, and they go on sale yeah. all all the time. All I think, the time. Um, I think six. And well, obviously five, but five and six aren't available. Five is available on PSP, but I don't. It's no, I'm sorry. Six is available on PSP, but I don't think it's on the the PlayStation Store. You'll have to find a physical copy. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we're gonna take another break here and come back to wrap this up with the final lap.
Welcome back. This is uh, the final lap where we read your comments, talk about what we're doing on the website, kitchen sink stuff, and oh so much more. Uh, not a whole lot of comments on our last, as it none, uh, on, our, <laughs> on our last show um, where we talked about stuff. I have just... Compl- Thank you. It's drawing a blank there. Don't drink and dry, boys and girls. But... Uh, but hey, if you want to leave comments, you can do that. Uh, always do that on our latest show, whichever the latest one is posted. I'd be happy to read that on the air. You can also hit us up on Twitter. We'll share our handles at the end here uh, or shoot us off an email or whatever makes you happy. We're happy to read those. But because we are pressed for time, we're just going to jump into a round table. Uh, and I hear Miss Ramos there. Miss Ramos, what are you working on? What's new with you? So, I mean, not too much on the site. Uh, we just got finished up with uh, JRP July, and I did complete my game for that month. But I also had was be a little less than halfway through it to begin with. So, and what was oh, your I game think. for the month? Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse. Ooh, is, beefy. Which is which is the which is the oddball, not really a sequel, sort of a sequel, sort of a midquel, sort of an alternate universe of Shin Megami Tensei Four. And it's the game that Shin Megami Tensei 4 should have been. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Like a better, more focused story, better Um, characters with more more personality to them. Yeah. Um, A um, lot of voice acting, which is pretty good. Um, Like the the, the, uh, battle system is largely the same. I don't remember. Well, I guess, no, they they changed how uh, the one hit KO uh, spells worked so that they're just, they do damage, but there's a chance, but there's, if, if uh, if you're smirking, your demon is smirking, they can do a one hit KO. So that was nice, and but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I and otherwise uh, for, but I haven't done anything for the too much for the side recently, other than sort of being the uh, the the admin to the increasingly defunct forums. Um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that's out for the site. Um, as for gaming, I am I want to spend more time on Fire Emblem Three Houses, but life keeps getting in the way. I have gotten up to just right past the battle against Lord Lonato, so I'm still very darn early. <laughs> I am very much liking it so far, but I have barely cra- scratched the surface. I'm I'm right with you. I, I think I'm on, like, chapter six right now. I think technically I'm on chapter three. The, the chapters work oddly three houses. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, Black Eagles, by the way, because Edelgard is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, that's all that's new with new with me. Other one. Hmm. Well, how about how about you, Miss Relly? Well, I finished my. I actually finished three games for JRPG July, but they were all of the same ilk because I played through the uh, Secret of Mana slash Seiken Densetsu collection that came out on the Switch. Ooh. Um. F- first one, you know, it's kind of like EE's one where. There isn't much of a story, but it's a nice little action RPG, and it was kind of neat seeing where the game's roots came from. Though, it, like Ease, it was a little bit infuriating because you, you need like keys and stuff to get through some of the dungeons, and if you run out of keys, you're pretty much screwed. Hmm. Or, or rather, you have to go you have to go find a skeleton and hope that they drop a key so that you. Yeah, oh, that sounds like old school design. Yeah, it, it can get a little bit frustrating, but I, I managed to get through um, Seiken Densetsu 1 or Final Fantasy Adventure or Mystic Quest, depending on what region you're from. And then Secret of Mana I've played, but I never really appreciated until this time through, just because <laughs> something about that game, it's, it's a really beautiful game, 
And I appreciate Square's attempt at an action RPG on the SNES. Um, I also know that that particular game was um, slated for the uh, SNES CD system, and when that kind of didn't co- go through, they had to cobble it together, which is why some of it feels very unfinished, mm-hmm. um, and why and why it's a little bit buggy. Uh, some of the hit detection that particular game made me want to throw my Switch right into a wall. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, but I, I pushed through, got through that one, and then Seiken Densetsu or Trials of Mana. Oh boy, that game is so freaking awesome, and it's a shame that we never got it here. Hmm, cool. Yeah, it, it's just, it's beautiful almost every step of the way. Um, you really need to play it twice because there are six different characters you can choose from, and, um, you can pick your main character and then your two side characters and you kind of deal with all of their stories. And ideally you would want to go through again picking the three that you didn't pick to get their stories too. Mm-hmm. And it's very neat how all of it just kind of comes together and like, you know, different characters' kingdoms are trying to take over the world and other characters' kingdoms are trying to stop they're the other kingdoms from taking over the world, and it's like this kind of spaghetti mess of a story, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I, I just couldn't get over how how deep that story was for Superman RP. Hmm. Oh, damn. Well, I'm looking forward to getting my hard copy then, because I'm holding out for the hard copy on the Switch. Yeah, See, I already went ahead and bought the. Uh, I, I downloaded the version until like right before I heard about. Um, <laughs> The box, but still, I mean, forty dollars for three for those three, including one that was never before localized. It's a pretty good deal, I'd say. Yeah, sounds, yeah I, sounds excited. I did the exact same thing and then sprung for a physical copy anyway, just because, like, well, I want to, I want to support them. I want Square to know that I want more mana, and supposedly that game is going to have a very short print run. Oh well, uh, no, have to think about it. <laughs> So, retirement fund. I think it's actually like thirty on Amazon, right? We'll get to that. But yeah, the excellent game collection. Um, definitely worth the forty dollars alone just to get the one that we never got. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful game. And then uh, the rest of what I've been playing is Three Houses, and I haven't really gotten that far either. Um, I have to admit, I was kind of overwhelmed at first because of all the different systems going on, like having to teach your students and giving them goals and having lectures and all this stuff. And I'm like. Oh my god, all of this is so complicated. I'm going to have characters that suck. And then after a couple of chapters, the game kind of guides you in a certain direction for the character. You know, certain characters kind of start out with different strengths and weaknesses like axe skill or lance skill or what have you. So if you really want to turn... Like, I'm I'm Team Blue Lions. If you really want to turn Dimitri into a magic user, you could if you wanted to. But really, the game kind of pushes you more into lances with him. Um, and, and that's cool that this is a Fire Emblem that's a lot more customizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, that's pretty interesting that all of them are like that, even if they have certain areas that they specialize in. So there are certain classes that you're more likely to class into unless you really want to experiment. But it, the freeform this is pretty neat. Yeah, and the other they thing... They get their own personal I, skills, too, as well, I believe. Yeah, and the other thing that, that got to me that I thought I was going to be upset about was um, the removal of the uh, weapons triangle. Because you know, that's been in the series since day oh, yeah. one. 
Yeah. So, uh, no, no, it hasn't no. been actually. It was produced in a series in the fourth game, Genealogy of the War. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's why. Uh, that's why Shadows of Valentia didn't have the weapons triangle because Gaiden didn't have the weapon. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. But w- what's interesting is that as you kind of teach characters skills, they learn skills that bring back the weapons triangle. Uh, sword users learn an ability called Axe Breaker. Um, axe p- wielders learn an ability called Lance Breaker, and so on and so forth. So, so weapons triangle eventually. <laughs> eventual yeah. triangle. But I, I thought that was kind of a neat touch. That like it, it's there, it's just not there eventually. And I, I said this on um, RPG Cast. I'm I'm getting a Trails of Cold Steel vibe from this with the school, the school environment, and using action points to uh, interact with different characters and building up your social links with them and all of this stuff. I, I haven't played a game like that yet, so it's uh, been an interesting experience thus far. Yeah, I, I can't wait to dive more into it. I, I, this is okay. probably... Yeah, this probably is a different way to build, so it's a very different way than just yeah. on a battlefield. Uh, this is probably shaping up to be my favorite Fire Emblem so far, depending on how the story goes. It, it could very well unseat uh, Awakening. Wow. I know, bold, bold claim. I'll see how I feel after the time skip. <laughs> I've got a long way to go before it, and Path of Radiance and Shadows of Valencia still constantly vie for my top spot, so... <laughs> Who knows? See, I, have, I haven't played the two uh, console ones yet. Nah. The, well, they're in my pile. What'd you say? I said those are hard to get now. Yeah, they're, they're in my pile. I have oh, them. Oh, you have them. Uh, ready to play. I just need the time. Maybe when I'm in my rest home. <laughs> Shoot. Well, that sounds exciting. Sounds like you're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Practically the whole site has been playing Fire Emblem. I haven't. I've been playing Ease. Okay, there's something else I've been playing, but it's not my turn yet. Um, but it sounds exciting. Are you enjoying I know it's gotten a lot of great, great, great positive buzz. I I was hearing some statistic thrown out how it's outselling even big name you know, non-RPG titles. And it's sold more than like the other two DS games put together and blah, blah, blah. Are you enjoying it that much? Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't been able to put it... I mean, at first I thought I wasn't going to enjoy it as much because I was having... It, it felt very overwhelming at first, but after it kind of clicked, it really clicked. If if I had only one thing to complain about with this game is that the text size is just a little bit small, especially in handheld mode. Mm, yeah, that can be that can be a little challenging. Um. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think in this day and age that games really need to have variable text sizes because we have that technology and for people like me that are blind as a bat, you know, be- being able to pump the font size up just two points makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, t- to me that's as bad as not having subtitles in your game, but nobody oh. really does that. Hmm. Uh, let's... Well, that's uh, let's see here. Uh, from one website, uh, Three Houses gets number one, almost doubles Awakenings launch sales. Uh, so let's see here. It t- is topping Wolfenstein, Youngblood, Crash Team. Well, no one cares about Crash. Let's be honest. Super Mario Maker Two, FIFA Nineteen, Marvel Ultimate Alliance Three are all lower on the Grand Theft Auto Five, which somehow is still selling because got gambling now. Uh, but yeah, it's outsell it's outselling a lot of new new other games that have come out. Yeah, Definitely, yeah, not bad for a series that was almost on its deathbed. Yeah, yeah really. 
Yeah, yeah. This game sits just ahead of Bethesda's Wolfenstein Youngblood, which also just debuted this week. Uh, Christopher Dring of Game Industry Biz reports that Three Houses sold almost double the number of copies achieved by Fire Emblem Awakening in its opening week back in 2013, and more than double the combined sales of the first two Fire Emblem Fates games. And that's uh, that's an article I found real quick on NintendoLife.com. Give credit where it's due, but yeah, no, it's it's doing really great. Uh, I haven't had a chance to sit down and play it myself yet, uh, but I love looking at the screenshots. I love the graphics. I love the and artwork. The memes that have come out of it have been hilarious. The, oh, uh, I'm gonna look them up now. <laughs> um, not not by it. What, what's the guy's? I'm blanking on his name now. The Setith memes. Oh, um, Setith. Yeah. Um, people have been making fake quests with just ridiculous stuff that the uh, stuffy guy Setith says. And the voice actor actually got on Twitter and voiced some of them. <laughs> Probably could do that. Yeah, I don't know much how enthusiastic voice actors have been. Like they're not just announcing their characters, but like playing the game, the playing the game themselves, and going, "I don't remember voicing this line." Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Uh, yeah, I can I can definitely tell you if you guys switch and you even somewhat like tactical uh, RPGs, you should really pick this guy up. I, I'll tell you, um, I had ordered Dragon Quest Builders two like a month ago, and it was back ordered, and it finally shipped this week and came in today or yesterday and it's like man I really want to play this because everyone said that this was good but I also want to continue with Fire Emblem why can't I clone myself and play two games at once yeah yeah right I you know, I will I will tell you it's a tough call I have a, another friend who's playing Dragon Quest Builders too and all the enthusiasm you're bringing here and that I've heard other people bring about three houses he's he's like Phil, Dragon Quest Builders 2, it's awesome, my boy, I can't put it down, I stay up till 3 I'm playing it last night, boom! You know, in hindsight, if I would have been smart, I would have ordered the PS4 version, because it would have been cheaper, I would have got it sooner, and I could just uh, play Fire Emblem portably and have uh, Dragon Quest be my evening game, but mm. I wanted it on Switch, because I want to play in bed. Right, nothing wrong with that. Uh, and he's playing it on his Switch, and he's having a really good time. I, I you know, so I, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, you can play. You know, I think it's a little bit from right here. It's a, a longer loading times, but you got the portability, and you can play it in bed and on yeah. the airplane. So I think that's a very good trade for some longer load times. I'm gonna say I've got an 18 hour plane ride coming up next month to Japan, so that might be my plane game. There you go. That's a good way to catch up. 18 hours each way. Um. Yeah. That's yep. about right. That's yeah. how long my trip was. Yeah, that's that's a trip to Indonesia is 26 hours because you fly to Japan first, and then you got another nine hour nine hours to get to Indonesia from there. So woohoo! That much to Taiwan too. Yeah, fun times. All so right. you're going to go on another vacation with Shirley soon, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah, boy. And I'm debating whether or not I'm going to take my Switch or just take something a bit lighter like a DS or something. I just I just uh, picked up a 2DS. Two, uh, the, what is it? The 2DS XL whatever? The XL, okay. The, the one that can still uh, cl- open and close. Yeah, the one that can still open and close. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not the flat 2DS that really is never going to fit in your pocket and looks like a kid's toy. Because uh, I figured, I, I with my regular DSs, I've had those kind of break over time or battery issues or whatever. So I know the 3DS is now heading into the sunset. And my 3DS library is so much bigger than my DS library. And there's so many more hours I need to spend on it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to invest in one more new unit. Because it, 
I just know from my DS, it's hard to get new units nowadays. You get them from China, they're still half pro. I, I hate it. So I'm like, I'm going to have one more. I just don't want to back up 3DS unit. But uh, but yeah, I'm okay with it being 2D because I'll be honest, I hardly ever turn on the 3D, really. So um, I still have my original 3DS XL from when I upgraded to a new 3DS. So that's kind of my backup unit, though I, I ended up retiring it because it was kind of my last Christmas present from my dad. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I know, sorry, not to make everybody sad. But, oh, sad face. Okay. But, um, see, part of me wants to get a 2DS just to have one, but part of me kind of likes playing in 3D. Like, I popped in uh, Puzzle and Dragons the other day and was playing it just to kill some time and cranked up to 3D and some of the 3D in it was really fun. Hey, everybody knows I like my puzzles and dragons. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a new 2DS XL myself that I used when after I had to retire my old irregular. Uh, and I don't really miss the I don't really miss the 3D. Although when I played uh, Mario and Luigi the uh, Dream Team a while back, I, I noticed was like all sorts of things that looked like this should this probably wasn't 3D, but of course nothing pops up now. Mm-hmm. Like, huh, I guess I back then when they were trying to use the 3D. It was an interesting gimmick, but boy, it did not last. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. So let's uh, let's give a uh, new guy a turd, Mister uh, Ryan. You there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, what's up with you? Uh, uh not much. Uh, yeah, I just. Uh oh, Ryan's cutting out. Come back to us. Don't go into the Coming light. Back. Coming back. Coming back. So, so I've been. So I actually just finished a playthrough of Knock True Tales of Robin Hood, which which is a so it's a base it's a it's a what you cut out oh sorry it's the internet really hates you tonight it does it doesn't like Ryan well it's so basically this game is like it's basically interact it's like an interactive fiction twine game with resource management huh it's based, it's based on the Robin Hood legend mm-hmm. Like and what and, that's, and the big selling point with this game is that you can basically customize, you can basically choose like the gender and sexuality of, of yeah. You can choose the gender of what you cut out. Yeah, like you, you can choose what gender and sexuality your, your Robin Hood is. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, Robin Hood existed before the printing press, so. There's really right. not much hard information about him except, was it him? I don't know. Well, there was a King John. That's all I can tell you for sure. So, ba- so what? So basically, the point of the scam is that you're supposed to like. So basically, as you're, well, everyone knows the story of Robin Hood, which is like, it's like this uh, d- dude who wants to to rob from the rich and give to the poor. If Disney told me anything, he's a fox, right? <laughs> That's just ever. Is that just everyone's? Is that the person everyone's just familiar with? <laughs> yeah, that's ex- that's the one that I watched a billion times. Little town full of little yeah, people. I watched. I shouldn't, but my memories are still fresh from last year's Robin Hood, which was um, not good. <laughs> uh, I've heard. I've heard tell. I suppose if you always wanted the story of Robin Hood involving him, seeing him in action in the Crusades. In the Holy Land, where the Turks apparently had machine crossbows in action, then this is the version for you. <laughs> Sounds like they were trying to cash in on Game of Thrones popularity. 
I don't I, think this is the only thing really that he's done. Question, that sounded awesome, right? <laughs> uh, oh, and Robin Hood also used pop-up targets for archery practice in this new Robin Hood. That's authentic to history, right? Sure. Sure, yeah, that's totally authentic. Uh, the 13th century was well known for its advanced technical abilities when it came to training soldiers. Well, yeah, well, to be fair, Noct isn't exactly 100% on, on being, like, super historical accuracy either, because because yeah, like, there's, like, the pros will just occasionally reference, like, characters drinking coffee, which is, like, the characters, the coffee did not exist in England back in the 12th century, I'm pretty sure. No, no, it didn't. Flat didn't. Because coffee can't be preserved for the length of time it would take to get it from an environment where it can be grown in that era. And... Yeah, I just had to live without it. And then, the, what if I dry the, roast it? What if I dry roast? <laughs> well, Phil, if you can go back, yeah, go back eight hundred years. Take what you know today and turn the Turkish coffee plantations into a roaring success. After you factor in that, it'll probably take you two months to get each ship back because of how bloody long the voyages require. And you'll probably have to salt them in some way because otherwise they'll start rotting on those lovely sailborne ships. But Mike, I need my coffee. I need my caffeine, damn it. What do you expect me to do about it? You expect me to come up with some magic means of preserving coffee 800 years ago? Apparently you do expect that. You have very interesting expectations, Phil. Anyway. And the the other thing about Noct is that for some reason... For some reason, the writer of this just decided that it desperately needed modern pop culture references at a couple, at a couple points. Like, it's not, like, pervasive, but it does it does get distracting when it happens. Like, there, at one point, there, there's a character named Dr. Jones or Mr. Jones or some, some Jones or something, and then I think there's, like, I think one of the dialogue choices you get is, like, oh, is your name Indiana or something like that? Sure, then, sure. That I love anachronisms. They they really root me in the period. <laughs> oh, and that's not even getting to the one time I counted Will Fortune reference. Like, even better. <laughs> yeah. So, like, because of course Wheel of Fortune works in an era when the printing press doesn't exist, so most people are illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, but I do think the overall game works despite them. But because I think what I like is. Uh, there's definitely like, there's the, so the point of this game is that you're you're trying to build up like some community to fight against uh, the sheriff of Nottingham, and what do you, what do you got? And you have to like spend your resources, like you gotta spend with stuff like you have like renown, power, uh, gold, or and you can like build a base and all that, and like you can even choose, like you can choose, like there's a, you have like three choices of bases to choose from, and that's like also in addition to like five different types of backstories you can use for your Robin Hood. And, like, and, the, and not to mention, there's, like, there's also, like, there's also several romance options, and there, and it, some of them, so, a few of them are same-sex, and, yeah, yeah you, there's there's gay options. That's what I'm, I'm not sure how accepting 13th century England was of homosexuality, but, again, this there's enough lack of re-information that we can Probably let it go. Well, I mean, this. Well, I mean, this game. This game has a lot of supernatural elements, and 
Yeah, I mean that's fine. I'm fine with that because, like, I mean, there's some there's supernatural elements in this anyway. So it's like it's not like yeah. I, I'm allowed, I'm allowed, I'm fine with artistic license. Well, cool. Sounds like fun. How about you, Mister Minky? Uh, I have a wardrobe review to finish. It's nearly done. I just need to come up with a conclusion and then start going through the proofing procedure, and we'll finally have a wardrobe review. I wish I could come up with some amazing, exceptional reason I've taken so long, but I really don't. It's just been a kind of lousy last few weeks. I feel you. I can totally relate. Yeah, I can. I can. I can see that. I did plug away at it a little bit more, trying to get through some of the additional modes, and it, it's helped me come to grips with what the arcade and the puzzle modes are. Puzzle has you just, here's a scenario, this is a map, here are all the units win in one turn. So that's why it's called puzzle, and honestly, it's kind of addictive for a little while. 25 of them, some of them require quite a bit of forethought, but it's interesting. And then there's arcade mode, which... I suppose it's called arcade because you can envision dueling somebody in an arcade with it. it. There are 13 commanders total in the game. Each one of them goes through five maps because every other commander has a map, which means that if you do all of them, you'll be playing 65 maps and there are 13 total. So you'll be seeing a lot of repetition and each character's map is set up as sort of a mirror. Well, you've got a factory on one side to build ground troops. The enemy has a factory on the other side to build its own ground troops. Everything is mirrored, and it's more about who can quickly conquer the fastest. So it's kind of interesting for a little while, but if you try to do all of them, something I have not yet tried to do, then you will probably start to get very, very bored after about the fifth character, and you see the same map for the third or fourth time. It would get old. Yeah, I mean that's it's kind of like uh, Street Fighter's arcade mode. So you you could you could quickly in Street Fighter or any of those fighting games like Mortal Kombat, whatever you could you could play with a fr- against a friend or you could do like a quick match against the computer AI. But the arcade mode was where normally it would take you through a series of five or ten battles, usually culminating in like a a boss. The la- you know the last one and then would give you like a little bit of an ending story if anything at all, and that would that would be your arcade run, right? Um, because back yeah, in the old we, days, you would pay a quarter and you would play through, you know, those 10 people usually dying on your third or fourth one. And that was your quarter, which makes including an arcade mode in a turn-based tactical game, a very odd thing to do. I'm not sure why it was called arcade. Hmm. N- not many turn-based tactical games showed up in the arcade. I could be misremembering, but I remember there were lots of beat-em-ups and lots of fighting games. I don't remember much in the way of turn-based tactics in my arcades. Maybe Japan yeah. had some? I, I don't know of any, but... Yeah, I mean, those arcade uh, those arcade modes would take you all of five minutes, but here it'll take you, what, five hours? <laughs> uh, if you play on easy, then maybe three, but still, that's, that's a lot of time for an arcade run. Do it, Mike. Do it. Mm. Do it. I've already beaten it with a few people. I don't want to have to go through the rest. Do uh, it. Do it. You you're so you, demanding, Phil. Gosh. You know you want to. You know you want to do it. No, I don't. Do it. I think you ought to Phil, do it. I am I am refusing to succumb to your peer pressure on this evening. Peer pressure. The other thing, well, I did start Grimshade, 
and it seems kind of interesting, but my computer was having issues. It was taking a very long time to load, so I set it aside for a little bit. I will get back to it because I need to review that also. And on the Vita, I have been playing Child of Light, where I can oh. con- I can confirm that it plays much better on the Vita than it did on my on my PC, where I had to use Ubisoft's UPlay engine, which refused to Ouch. work at all. That's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. On the Vita, I don't have to use UPlay, so I'm actually able to play the game instead of being mired in endless technical difficulties. And while I don't think I love it as much as our very own Sam Marcello did a few years ago, I do enjoy it quite a bit. It was the one and only game she's ever given a five, and that might come from also where she was at that point in her life, but she really, really liked it. Do it. Yeah, maybe. Do it. I have to finish it first. Do it. And then, Kelly, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I have now seen the new Lion King. I did oh, not no. respond the way you did. Oh, no. I didn't hate it, but for the most part, I just found it kind of pointless. Did you at least respond better than the Nostalgia Critic? Because he pissed me off. Mm, I haven't watched him in years. Oh, he, I, he was... I didn't go on an angry rant about it. No, it, no, it, one, no one with he, any taste has watched Nostalgia well, I, I used to like him, but he went out, he pretty much, without saying it, pretty much came out and said, if you like this movie, you're stupid. And it was kind of like, I don't, I don't appreciate being insulted like that, enjoying a movie, so I am not watching you anymore, because you haven't been funny in five years. Yeah, I, I hate that, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think but... I've watched him in seven years. I think I was, yeah, probably about seven years. I, I don't know. At some point, I just fell off that train entirely. Well before it went completely south. The whole yeah, thing. I, I probably should have stopped watching a year ago, but I still wanted to give them a chance because I still enjoyed their content. But I don't appreciate being and feeling like I'm being insulted for you know finding enjoyment in something. So, but I, I digress. Um, so you're kind of mad on it. Yeah. Uh... Most of it was pretty much the same as the 94 version, except when they look like real animals with the expressiveness of real animals, it falls a little flat for me. I know I'm supposed to be feeling something when Simba's there with his dad dead in the, in the ravine. And don't anybody say this is a spoiler because it's a almost beat-for-beat beat remake. Oh my you know god, you happen. spoiled! I haven't <laughs> seen it yet! Damn you, Minky! I'm yeah, so sorry, Phil. Phil. Phil is now going to suffer post-traumatic stress disorder for a couple of years. Oh my gosh! Next you're going to tell me. Fault. Next you're going to tell me Aaron dies. You mean Eris? Yeah, whatever her name is. Mm, I'm not going to tell you that because you already know. But when Simba's just there with his standard lion expression, because lions don't have a great range of expressions, it fell a little flat for me. Yeah, and and I can see that, and I did feel like some of the faces could have used a little bit more animation. But overall, I still enjoyed like just the whole overall fun of the movie. But it, it's also my favorite. I mean, the original was also my favorite movie, so it was going to be kind of hard for. I mean, they would have had to pretty much done like uh, I don't know, like the the Tommy Wiseau version or something to get me to not like this v- version of the movie. So. Oh, and Phil, 
you will not appreciate the fact that Be Prepared has been neutered in this new one. Yeah. What? Be Prepared's the best song ever? What did they do to it? It's my favorite well, song. Well, let's see. First of all, the first verse has been changed. So at first you're not even sure that Be Prepared is beginning because the words are different. Mm-hmm. And then the second verse is gone. There's only one verse in Be Prepared. What? You know, I, I thought about this, and to be honest, I don't blame them for really changing it because of the climate that's going on right now and how heavily it was implied that it was essentially meant to be a uh, Nazi rally in the original. I mean, they're, the hyenas are goose-stepping. I can no... understand it, but what they came up with as a replacement is much less interesting. Yeah, no, I know. Th- I think that they could have done something different, but I-, I understand their hesitation to not go there. I just can't wait to be king. What they did was not terrible, but because we're dealing with more realistic animals, it's less interesting to just have the cubs run- running around at the waterhole between all of the different animals rather than having them get up and make a Busby Berkeley number. Because realistic animals don't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the lion sleeps tonight. That has been extended with some helpers coming in for Timon and Pumbaa. So uh, if you never knew how the rest of that song went, you'll get a couple more lyrics out of it. Right? Yeah, as a kid, I was shocked to find out that that movie didn't originate, or that song didn't originate in that movie. It was the first time I had heard it, but yeah, that song goes back to the 50s. I, when I heard it later on in Ace Ventura Pet Detective, I was like, wait a minute. Something's not right. Oh. And I, I liked Seth Rogen as Pumbaa. I, I did too. I, I, I don't know. I don't know who the other comedian was that played Timon. Wait a minute. Now you're saying positive things about this movie. You're stupid. <laughs> yes, because clearly things can only be completely bad or completely good. There is nothing in between, right, Phil? That's right. Absolutely. Just like your experience with Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. You had only good things to say about it. Oh, oh yeah. It's a gem. 100%. You had no complaints. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. Not a single one. Yeah, and the end plays out pretty much the same, too. Scar tries to blame the hyenas. They fight. The hyenas turn on him. It was interesting. I can see where the money went, but for me, it just was more than more of a technical demonstration than anything else. I will admit that scene, that scene where he um, got the burst of strength after Scar kind of told him the truth. That that version kind of helped clear up a, a something that's bothered bothered me in the original for years, where Simba just kind of leaps up out of nowhere and pins him and in the remake he actually like grabs onto scar's ear or mane or something and kind of pulls himself up yeah that was different i'm also not sure what the purpose of the hyena queen was she didn't really do enough to stand out i i think they were trying to kind of make it more i want to say scientifically accurate since um hyenas are mat- matriarchal if i'm saying that right yeah you're saying it right uh, at least that's what i got from that well, if if you're gonna make a new character, have her do more than I. What was her name? Shanzi, something like that. I want to say it was Shinzi. And especially if you make it look like she's having a dramatic death, don't have her come out of the clouds a few minutes later. Anyway, uh, I want to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That will come 
it hasn't yet because people keep I keep meaning to see it with people who keep bowing out, which is annoying me. Bad you know, people. That exact same thing happened to me with wanting to see Inglorious Bastards. Well, I've seen enough to know that Quentin Tarantino does something that he did with Inglorious Bastards, which is the historical record will not be 100% recreated. <laughs> and I'm fine with that because I know what happened in history and I enjoy seeing Tarantino go crazy. I have kind of a love-hate with Tarantino because I was doing film school stuff when Pulp Fiction was at in its heyday. And just the, the amount of edgelord teenagers that wanted to be the next Tarantino got on my nerves. I can completely understand that. Yeah. We got so many Tarantino knockoffs in the 90s, and 95% of them had no right to make anything based on what they put forth. And, it, and it's like, you know, I'm not disparaging him because he's a damn good director. He deserves his reputation, but... My God, the imitators, especially in high school when I was having to deal with that crap, or just watch falling over the room, another director. Uh, but, I don't I see. I don't see any way for them to fall in love with another director and it not becoming nearly as annoying. We're too young, but I'm sure there were lots of would-be Spielbergs in the late '70s and early '80s who kept trying to make everything a massive, massive blockbuster about probably some killer monster. Actually, I know there were. There were lots of people. There was Grizzly. There was Orca. There was Day of the Animal. There were so many things in the late 70s that ripped off Jaws, and almost all of them were crap. And then in the 80s, we had E.T. ripoffs like Mac and Me. Oh, yep. You had to go there. I did. It, she went there. I've never seen Mac and Me, except for that bit Conan O'Brien kept featuring. Um, it's actually on uh, Netflix as the one of the new MST3Ks. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's in season 12. So if you're going to watch it, watch it like that. Yep. Uh, oh, yes. And last week I saw Annabelle Comes Home, which is mostly forgettable, but it featured something I've never seen in a movie before. Keeping in mind that we're in the 70s, somehow a film strip starts up, which somehow has sound synced to it. This is a film projector. I think everybody's experienced this, where people just start playing you the film projector. Remember, these things don't come with sound if they're for your home. And it, it has it has sound somehow synced to it. And there's a demon which gets right in the path as a recording of somebody invoking the Stations of the Cross. I command you to be cast out of this being. All of that junk. And the recording somehow has an effect on the demon. I've never seen that before. Yeah, that kind of technical stuff bugs the crap out of me. And I don't have much else to say, so I guess it's up to you, Phil. What can I do for you? Just, just on a t on a mild tangent, there, there was a bit like that in the last season of Stranger Things, where they had the kid running around with a camcorder, and I'm like, there is no way a dad in 1984 would have let their kid run around with a camcorder, given that that thing cost as much as a car back then. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe Dad did because Dad was absent and then when it got broken, Dad would extract many, many payments over a very long period to get it back, the value back. 
Yeah, no. My my dad got a camcorder in 1989, and he still wouldn't have let me run around the neighborhood with it. And that was when camcorders got mildly affordable. I'll still say that it was probably negligent parenting from an idiot there. That That's my only explanation, and it's probably not right. <laughs> I know. Your Annabelle thing just made me think of that. <laughs> what else is Annabelle? I guess there's a slightly sentient suit of samurai armor that moves around, but it... Yeah, it, I was hopeful because Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga were featured in the advertising prominently, but they're in the movie for maybe 12, 13 minutes total. It's mostly a bunch of unknowns for the rest of them. Too bad. Anyway, you're up, Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did I... Did I talk about Attack on Titan before, Mike? I don't remember. Call from I heard when I heard the last episode, you did. It sounds like you're still pretty early because uh, the uh, third season, the second part of the third season, recently ended, and the fourth season's coming out late next year. Okay, so so I got up through. I got up to the beginning, like the first few episodes of season three, which okay. is important because that enabled me to actually play through the rest of the original story mode in the video game. Because as I probably mentioned on the last podcast, you don't want to play through the game before watching the show. The game will just ruin all the major plot points without the appropriate buildup and the details, and it'll just suck. I can it's, imagine. <laughs> it's like watching... Yeah, it's like... It's really story-heavy and uh, like re- big revelations-heavy. Yeah, and, the, and the, the, the story mode in that game just doesn't... You know, they, they try their best, but there's, you, you can't fit the whole anime into the video game. And all that exposition and that chatter and stuff. You, you gotta you gotta summarize it somehow. And and when you do, you lose something in it. So yeah, it's it's you definitely want to watch the show first, and then you play the game. And I played through the entire story mode, and you're playing the entire main story mode from the point of view of this nameless person who wasn't in the anime. But um, but it's supposed to help you. It'll help get a fresh perspective. Well, it doesn't do a really good job of, of that uh, at all. So story-wise, it's just it just feels like you're going through the, the story of the show, but you're missing big pieces and sections that you're left out of because it doesn't make sense that that character would be there. So it just, I don't know, it feels a little disjointed. Mm. The gameplay itself and um, was a lot of fun, though. It, I mean, it really made you feel like a badass. You're taking these big titans... And it takes the Musu formula and changes it. Instead of fighting a bunch of small, weak things, you're fighting these huge, colossal, you know, strong things that if they catch you off guard, they're going to kill you and eat you for breakfast and turn you into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. So that that that's pretty cool. I went through the whole story mode. It has the, the Attack on Titan final battle, which if you have Attack on Titan 2, you can buy the final battle as like a separate expansion on the store or if you don't have attack on titan 2 at all you can buy attack on titan 2 final battle and you get everything for one price um but the the expansion stuff includes the season three story mode uh, and it's called something slightly different but in the season three part of it instead of playing this nameless character uh who for story reasons wouldn't be around in season three you're gonna see you're gonna experience that story from the perspective of the characters in the anime 
Uh, and the storytelling's done a little bit better there because I started playing through the first few episodes. But again, it just falls short. You just want to make sure you watch the anime before you play through that. And it just takes you through some. Uh, it takes you through the the combats that happen in the anime, including one of the early fights against other people. So it's a little different fighting other people instead of titans. Yeah, but it's not as fun. <laughs> so I just. Yeah, it, it, the combat doesn't quite hold up quite as well when you're attacking other people who are flying all over the place like you. You lock on to them, you hit the attack button, you run into them, you do some damage. If they're reloading, you hit a quick action button to do massive damage while they are got their pants down. So it's it's okay, but it's it's like, okay, when do I get to go back to fighting Titans? Because this isn't... And, and a lot of, the, at least the first part of Season 3 that I've watched, it's a lot of politics and it's a lot of you know, kind of carrying forward the weight of what happened in, in the earlier seasons and, and how that's impacting them now and in the video game that just doesn't tra- translate very well. So I'm not super sure I'm going to like... I, I've only started playing it, but I'm not super sure I'm going to be super excited about that. Then, um, But the stuff that you do, like as far as building up your weapons and your materials so you can upgrade your weapons and things like that, do, do carry over, for the most part, from mode to mode. There's some... Like with most of those Musou games, the later ones anyways, where they start bringing in different ways to upgrade your characters and leveling them up and build up a camp and things like that. They they sometimes get a little too complicated for their own good. You get some of that here. There, let's see, the third mode is you can play the scenarios, and on that one you can play with any character you want. Any character that you've unlocked so far through the story modes... You can play in this mode, and it's mostly uh, it's mostly meant to be played online. So you can get with your friends, and you can go take down gigantic titans. Uh, and you can farm rare materials, so you can build bigger and better weapons. Uh, okay, I don't have a lot of friends who are playing this right now, so I can't really you know speak to that. You can play the, the those missions solo, but aside from maybe the potential of getting some sort of rare material here and there, I, I don't see the point. The final mode that the that the new game brings is this is is kind of a cool premise the idea is that uh you're playing the you're playing a scout or a regiment it can be the scouts it can be whatever you want and you're trying to reclaim the area outside of all rows one section at a time as you're doing that and you get resources by reclaiming those lands you can use it to upgrade your base plus you're going to find people out in the field to make your regiment bigger and you get to assign those people tasks so that you gather more materials, or you recruit more people, and you become more efficient, etc., etc. So that's kind of cool. And Muso, later Muso games are really good about taking like a very simple battle system and tying it in with some bigger overachieving meta system, uh, and and turn like a board game or something along those lines. Whether and that's what they're kind of doing here. You're building up a base by going on to these adventures over and over again. And you almost kind of want to do it just to see who am I going to recruit next or, you know, what territory am I going to take over next or how am I going to, you know, what am I going to unlock in my base next? So that's that's kind of cool. It is kind of cool to think, you know, to, to, to kind of play through the scenario of retaking wall, uh, the areas outside of Wall Rose and you're the one leading this whole expedition and stuff. So that's kind of cool. The, the, the problem is the gameplay just comes down to the gameplay, which is if you play Musou games... You know they are they are simple affairs, and I'm a huge fan of them. I'm one of the few fans. <laughs> I know they're hate love or hate type of things, 
Uh, I generally like Musou games. I think Jim Sterling supports you in liking Musou games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, especially lately with my life so busy, I just want to come home for an hour or two and just cut down a bunch of weak soldiers, in this case, Titans. I will say one disconnect to the video game is as your character levels up and you just unlock some weapons and stuff, taking down Titans, at least the regular Titans, is so easy. Whereas, of course, in the anime, they're always a huge threat. Even if you're experienced, you've got to be on your A game. Um, and it's really funny because in the anime, they're like, wow, he's a he's a badass lieutenant. He's taking down four, 40 titans. And you're like, I just took down 40 titans yesterday in one hour. And that was only one mission of 10. Uh, but <laughs> that's a little bit of a disconnect there. But the uh, but in most Musou games, you usually can pick different characters and different weapons. So usually when I get tired of playing one character uh, and start that repetition starting to set in, then I'll, then I'll play another one. Or you take some of their spinoffs like Dragon Quest, Heroes, and, and you're you're fighting with one character for all, and you can easily switch in the middle of the combat to different characters who have different spells and skills. And it really keeps it fresh as you're going through map after map of the map and they start looking the same. Uh, it, it helps a lot. Hyrule Warriors, you've literally have got two dozen plus characters and some of those characters have multiple different weapons that play completely differently. Uh, like Fairy Link. Oh, that is so hilarious where the big fairy just wields Link as a weapon. as funny as everything. But in this game... You got thirty some characters, and but they all use the exact, pretty much the same weapons. You can unlock different weapons, and some of the weapons look really cool. Some of the weapons are so crazy insane; you would never see them on the show. They actually look something more like from Monster Hunter Generations, like a sword that really looks like a chain, an electric chainsaw. Or there's this one that looks like an axe, but the head of the axe looks like a half of a clock with Roman numerals on the edge with spinning hands. It's it's out of this world. I try to take some screenshots to share on Twitter. So a lot of imagination put into that. But as cool as they look, they all play exactly the same. So comparing it with Monster Hunter is a great analogy. A Monster Hunter, and one of the reasons why the series you can play that series for hundreds of hours and never get bored, is because you have dozens of different type of enemies with dozens of different attack patterns, and strengths and weaknesses, and all that. And even when you start to get bored of the game, there's 14 different weapons that all play so differently. When I was running through Monster Hunter World with a friend after already spending 200 hours and beating it several times, and another friend's like, hey, come and play this for me from scratch, I was like, okay, I'm going to play with a totally different weapon, and it made the game feel fresh. Here, and Attack on Titan, once you've, once you've mastered that weapon and you put 20 hours or so into the game, the incentive to continue some of these extra modes really goes downhill pretty quickly because there's there's nothing really changing it up. So the boards will be a little bit harder. The monsters might, or the, the titans might be bigger damage sponges. There may be scenarios where five of them are attacking at once, and that gets a bit dicey. But there's there's nothing really dramatically changing it up. The the standard Musou formula of battles aren't too much of a threat once you get used to the game and you've leveled up a little bit. Um, but you need to be in the right place at the right time to meet the um, the the win conditions. That's still there, but it just gets defanged after a while and gets repetitive and boring more so than than uh, than other games. So like if someone's coming to me and say, hey, should I play this game? I'm going to tell you if you like Musou games. I could recommend Hyrule Warriors or Fire Emblem Heroes or Dragon Quest Heroes. Like, there's so many better Musou-style games. I mean, hell, even even freaking um, Dynasty Warriors 8 or Warriors Orochi 4 is, is, is going to be more fun than this. If you're a fan of the anime and not necessarily a Musou games, go watch the anime. This game's not going to, like, convert you. If you're a fan of both, like I am, there's definitely some value to be found in this game. 
And in a way, there's definitely some RPG elements as well. And for RP gamers, I think you'll you'll get some enjoyment out of it. But only if you're a fan of both. And I think that enjoyment is going to be somewhat limited due to the due to the fact that there just there just isn't enough variety in the gameplay itself because you really are set to one set of weapons. You know, because that is kind of <laughs> that is kind of the uh, the lore, right? You take down titans with with big ass swords. So. Um, it's just a sword play i mean hell fire fire emblem heroes was a bit on the rough side because you only had four different weapons the five you know the, the swords and the lances and whatever have you and different kinds of mounts maybe made you feel like you had five or six but that's about it that kind of got boring for me this this is this isn't gonna last you more than 20 or so hours so i, I if you're a fan of both i'd wait for a sale but if you do, you'll get some enjoyment out of it, like I have. I have enjoyed it, and and every once in a while, I go and pop off another hour or two and continue to expand my reaches outside of Wall Rose because I do want to. Kind of, I'm kind of curious to see what will happen once I conquer it all, but I don't want to do it in Wall one sitting or even one week. It's just too repetitious. So that's what I've been doing outside of what I talked about in CRPG Club. That's pretty much been about it. Um, but you know what you can be doing while you're listening to this or playing your games because you're listening to this you're a multitasker what you want to do is you want to head over to rpgamer.com and check out what we have a lot of news reviews uh and all kinds of articles uh we mentioned earlier on the podcast about jrpg club uh jrpg i'm mixing things up jrpg july we have our articles up there that you can go and read where we all shared our experiences playing our favorite uh, well, some of us not so favorite uh, Japanese style role playing games. Uh, just all kinds of articles and stuff written by people who are really passionate about role playing games. So go check that at rpgamer.com. And that's where you're also going to find the link to our uh, Discord server and our very popular forums. So <laughs> go check that out. You can leave your comments on our latest podcast over there as well. You can also hit us at Twitter. We have at uh, rpgamer. Um, I'm at JC Servant. Mr. Mickey's at Jumaysin. Uh, but you can hit us all up over there on Twitter. We're big fans of Twitter for some reason. And I just remind everybody that RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com. Mr. Minky, do you have some wise words to put us to bed with? Not really, because I would want to say something using the vocabulary of a Pokemon. And that is not going to inform anybody much. I'll just say goodnight. Pika!